Welcome to Strictly Come Hamsters, the Doctor Who panel show, debate, comedy, bitch fest. My name <laughs> is Joe Ford and I am one of your hosts today. Um, I'm going to hand you over now to my co-host, Mr. Rod Brown, the man who has discovered that it is almost impossible to schedule me, let alone the guests, and, and has taken up the position as my new podcast wife. Go on, Rod, over to you. Thank you, Joe. And yes, organising you is far more difficult than organising any guest, I have to say. Um, so welcome, everybody, and welcome to all the listeners and the viewers on that there YouTube. Um, as Joe has rightly said, this is the very first Strictly Come Amster, which is now the Doctor Who Championship podcast. And every two weeks, Joe and I are going to be sashaying our way across the Toymaker's dancing floor, accompanied by two very special guests. And together, we're going to be reviewing, ranking, congratulating and possibly condemning a range of stories from across 60 years in order to decide which is going to be picking up the Lucretian glitter ball and which is going to get sent home to Peace Pottage. Winners from each show will be progressing to the next round, but that's all for the future. So for today, let's focus on our first episode and introduce today's Dancing Hamsters. Gentlemen, would you like to introduce yourselves? Who first? I'll go first. I hello. I'm uh, I'm the less special of the two special guests. You're to, very everybody's special. Oh, thank thank you. I fished for compliments and I found them straight away. <laughs> Wonderful. Well Merry Merry Christmas, Joe. Uh, I, uh, I'm I, I'm I'm Michael Mills, uh, and I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. We've got someone else here as well. I think. Uh, yes. Hello. My name is Toby Haydoke, the um, Michael Sheard of Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife. <laughs> if I'm asked, I will do it. And, uh, it's nice to be here on Christmas, live on Christmas Day. And here ho, I am ho, ho. in my Christmas clothes, um, ready to get festive with Doctor Who. Thanks for having me and a Merry Christmas to all of you at home. Oh, someone had to say that today, didn't I? I can't believe it. I'm the one that insisted that everybody wear festive clothing. And then I came in a Dimensions in Time t-shirt. So well done to everybody else. Thank well, you. I should think watching Dimensions in Time, you probably think all your Christmases have come at once. Don't oh, you? It's the <laughs> ultimate Doctor Who panther, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it isn't. Who's behind you? <laughs> Okay, so thank you, everybody, and thank you again so much for joining us on our first episode. So in future episodes, we're going to be covering stories from individual seasons or series, but because we're launching Strictly Come Hamster's Day on Christmas Day, we thought, why not break the format right away from the start? So today, we're going to look at eight Christmas specials instead from the Russell T. Davis era and Stephen Moffat. So... We are going to be discussing The Runaway Bride, Voyage of the Damned and The Next Doctor with David Tennant, Matt Smith's Christmas Carol and The Doctor, The Widow and The Wardrobe, and Peter Capaldi's Last Christmas, The Husbands of River Song and The Return of Doctor Mysterio. But before we get into these stories individually, we would really welcome the panel's views on Christmas specials as a whole. And we want to ask you, do you think Doctor Who works on Christmas Day? And how far does it have to bend its own rules in order to fit into the Christmas schedules? Gentlemen, your thoughts? Let's go over to Toby first. Well, I mean, I remember seeing, uh, uh, I mean, it was a mixture of joy and fury because I just pressed stop, stop on my video recorder uh, 
and uh and then it did a then it did a trail it did a trailer for what we just missed didn't it and then said or, or or the whole season it did a recap of the whole season in clips and then said doctor will return at christmas or something like that and yeah but i just pressed stop so i didn't so i was sad that I, but but of course the excitement that um because i was recording those episodes on vhs christopher eccleston i recorded on vhs i was on the i was on the the, the cutting the, edge of technology i was, I was <laughs> a crossover between the old and new. That was 2005, VHS. Well, I've never been a man of the moment. Okay. <laughs> Good job it wasn't Laserdisc. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm watching you now through an Etch-a-Sketch. But there was that, I don't, can't remember quite, but it did say, didn't it, Doctor Who will return in the Christmas invasion. And I yep. think that was the first hint we'd got that one... This first season has been really successful. Uh, and two, oh, there's going to be a Christmas special. Did did I have I dreamt that? But certainly I remember when there was there was a moment it, hearing that Doctor Who was going to come back at Christmas, whenever that was, was like, oh, this this has been a successful return. They're putting it, they're they're planting it on Christmas Day. It's only been on Christmas Day by an accident of scheduling before, really, and that was the feast of Stephen, and nobody really talks about that because delightful anomalies though it has within it it's also as an experience a whole lot of noise and um a atypical shall we say of the show and perhaps doesn't go as far into the nonsense you know it should have either been further into the nonsense or or, or tried to be just a bit more like an exciting episode so we'd never seen anything like up until you know this this iteration of the show we not really had a doctor Who christmas special and now of course we can't move for them um, Can I, I interject the... for a second? Yeah, because this, you know, we, there's a bit of debate going on here. I would, I would argue against that just to say that the Unquiet Dead feels like a Christmas special to me, way before the the Christmas Invasion. Well, I mean, that just goes to show how they might not have anticipated, mm -hmm. um, because watching the Unquiet Dead now is a bit like it's a bit like Die Hard, isn't it? You sort of go, <laughs> is the Unquiet Dead a Christmas episode or not? Because, because actually, you would say now, if you were to commission Doctor Who as a thirteen-episode series with a Christmas special, you'd go, don't do the Unquiet Dead as number three. Do the Unquiet Dead as a as a Christmas special. Um, and have a different celebrity historical for for episode three because the Unquiet Dead is a beautiful Christmas tale of Christmas Carol redemption, as as the later very literal um, Doctor Who version of the Christmas Carol becomes that uh, without without it being Dickens. Um, but I I I think it's a great, it's really hard, isn't it? Because they have to have an eye on my annoying family who will watch it with me, um, <laughs> who 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 want some sort of Christmas Day entertainment that is big and bold and colourful. Um, but they'll also want to please Doctor Who fans who've tuned in for a, an episode of Doctor Who that has a, and it has to have an extra dimension because it's Christmas. And, and so I always think you feel slightly flat after Christmas because I think you build it up as something. This is Christmas and yeah, Christmas. Doctor for sure. You build it up as something in your head and then you go, oh, is that it? And of course that's it. Because part of the whole thing about Christmas is actually the build-up. It's not the execution. Because mm. it's just a day like any other day with a few things that you add to it. So I think it's hard to be a Christmas special. But I love the fact that they exist. I love the fact that they attempt to cipher. Because Doctor Who is a bit like Christmas. It reminds us of our childhoods. It has a whole 
hefty wedge of nostalgia that goes with it. It's got its own special feeling. Um, it's a it's a group enterprise in terms of your appreciation of it. So there's a lot that connects Doctor Who and Christmas. So there's a lot of pressure on it. And I and I think many things that we find fault with with the Christmas episodes aren't necessarily their fault. But I'm glad that they're there and I'm glad that the show chooses to do it. And I think it's important now that Doctor Who is part of the Christmas schedule because that reinforces it as part of our cultural heritage and our, our national identity and all, all of the other things that makes Doctor Who special I, I don't want to follow that i was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> very erudite summary yeah we're all stunned into silence <laughs> has anybody else got anything else to add it's not oh, an so, awful lot to add to that it's not a pants in it really i mean uh <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, I, I mean toby you're absolutely right to the extent that you, that point you made about them being caught out by its success and that christmas special it, on the DVD commentary for the Christopher Eccleston series, Russell T. Davis even says on The Unquiet Dead, oh, I hope we get a Christmas repeat on this, which <laughs> just sort of shows you how sort of ridiculously small it was, wasn't it? Yeah, the, uh, small, you know what I mean? The, the, we couldn't have dreamed of these wonders that we now get. <laughs> you Doctor Who, sometimes once a year? I mean, it's incredible. They were you know planning weren't they to possibly shunt it off onto a sunday night in a sort of graveyard slot weren't they if it wasn't successful so i don't think they ever anticipated it the bone kickers protocol yeah <laughs> surely not as bad as that <laughs> you know what i think the, the problem with the christmas specials is is that they've got the word special in them and every time doctor who fans hear the word special they feel as if it's something that is going to be extraordinarily better than your average Doctor Who episode. And it happened again with the specials uh, as David Tennant bowed out. And it, I've seen it a little bit, less so because people are so excited at the moment, but a little bit with Wild Blue Yonder, which has just been released. The second you put that word in, people... A month ago, Joe. A month ago. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Christmas Day. Whoopsie. Obviously. Um, Tell me what I mean. But the second you put that word in, people just expect the world and what they get is a perfectly serviceable Doctor Who story at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah, and you can't blame something for the expectation that we throw upon it. Spe special, as we know now, means, you know, not part of a season. But because it has connotations, because the word special, also, you know, mean really means, you know, lovely and marvellous and all of that. I, I have seen it with Wild Blue Yonder people going, well, how can it be a special when it's only got two characters in it? It's well. <laughs> Way. It you was know. very special that episode. <laughs> it's like it's like when they put on a special bus service. That's really what it is. It, yeah. it's like, <laughs> so, the, there are Doctor Who fans hanging about on the strands, going, "Is Carolyn Ford going to be on it?" Yeah, <laughs> the ghost of William Hartnell. He's the conductor yeah. in a different incarnation of the Doctor. We will never know. <laughs> the only thing I'd really add is I think that is a really good jumping on point for non-vans because that's the point of the year where more people are going to be watching. So that's the point where you can sort of hopefully capture people for the next but, season. Yeah, and I would argue actually it should be of service to those people, which is why you know Voyage of the Damned was so mm. successful. You you throw you put Kylie Minogue in it. You you basically make the Poseidon Adventure, which is a film I remember always being on around the Christmas period. It was when I was growing up, those sorts of disaster movies were on at Christmas all of the time. You know, things that you watch where you wondered who was going to die first. That that was basically it. You have those things. So uh, and 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 it's one that you you go into and you can enjoy on its own uh, terms. It's quite crash bang wallop. Um, and uh, 
and, and then you could come out of it, but it might just plant a seed for people to go, oh, yeah, I'll watch that mm. when it comes back on. And look uh, at the ratings that next year in season four. You know, they did take a leave. Yeah. Although and, you and, have just listed my three reasons for Voyager. I was going to say, Thank yeah, you yeah. Very much. <laughs> mine as well. Thanks I've got to rethink now. <laughs> so I suppose on that note, shall we dive into round one? Let's do it. So... Everyone looks scared. Why do you both? I know they suddenly look really terrified, don't they? (laughs) So it's not it's not as complicated as it sounds. So let's get into round one. So this is the first knockout stage. So because we're covering eight stories and there's four of us, we're each over the period of round one going to pick two stories each. And and in time honoured hamster tradition, you're going to be giving us three reasons: either why you want to recommend it, or why you want to send it packing home and sent home out of the competition. And your job is to persuade and cajole the rest of the panel to agree with your views. So if the majority are won over by your views, whether to keep it or bin it, then the outcome's obvious. But there may be an argument because the panel panel may disagree with what you're suggesting. Uh, And we'll see what happens when we get to that point. But I guess we need to decide who's going to kick us off in the conversation. So I have a random generator, which had a lovely uh, Christmas noise, which Joe told me earlier we can't hear. So I'm just going to spin. <laughs> I know, so disappointing after all this work. I've decided instead I will sing Murray Gold's Christmas songs while it's going around to the delight of all concerned. No, I won't Thank do that. Thank goodness I've limited no. it only to five seconds. We'll sort so... it out in post. <laughs> so here we go, Joe. Get ready to sing. Oh, I've got a scene. Three, two, one. Well, once I found a stowaway, uh, and the wheel is spinning on Christmas Day. Oh, and it is Toby. What have oh. I got? <laughs> <laughs> this is Christmas, though, right? This is we've got the box set out. Rod's Rod's read all the rules. I've read <laughs> it's the okay, rules, don't yes. worry. I'm going to get very angry if anyone uh, goes off. All the relatives are going. Well, how do you play it? <laughs> I'm the little dog. I'm the little dog, Rod. <laughs> I was having to, I was having to find a list of the stories that Joe that Joe sent me. Um, rather optimistically, as somebody that could probably quote every single episode of classic who in you know in order uh and all the dialogue and the cast S- some of these i'm not quite as familiar with so <laughs> do you have a list because I, I can reel it off for you now no i've got it here so am i choosing a story basically choose, choose a story toby and give us three reasons why you think it should stay in this competition or why you think we should reject it i am going to choose the next doctor Ooh. Uh, because I think it gets a bad it gets a bad press, and I don't think it deserves one. So I will give you the three reasons why. One, what an excellent wheeze! The idea that we have another Doctor Who, um, and and it's told brilliantly by Russell T Davies in that that it's clear fairly early on because he's got a sonic um, screwdriver that's actually a chisel that this isn't Doctor Who, but it's got a it's got a headline grabbing concept that is. Who's going to be the next Doctor Who? And all the mums in the school playground were going to me and going, uh, I've heard who the news Doctor Who is. Uh, I think it's going to be David Morrissey. And you're going, you've, you've really heard that, have you? Because there have been pictures of him in the paper. And you're sidling up to me uh, and telling me you think that that's going to be news to me, do you? But thank- you know, that is a strange um, affliction, isn't it? Because suddenly, you, when it's popular, you become the one expert that everybody knows on Doctor Who. They think yeah. you've got insider knowledge. But also then come and tell you their insight, <laughs> which is what they've read in the sun. <laughs> and you have to go, I, yeah, I don't think it is David Morrissey <laughs> is the new Doctor. I, I think that's going to be a wheeze, you know, that's a, but they played that out very well. And and even though I 
you know, my common sense told me, no, no, he's, he's a get that. That's the whole set. The reason they've called it the next doctor is because it's a, it's a tease and there's going to be a twist. And, but David Morrissey played along and said, well, I can't say whether I'm going to, you know, of course <laughs> they were going to do that. I thought that was a brilliant week because not only did it work on the screen, it worked off screen. It got people talking about Doctor Who. It got people also invested in the mythology of there being another Doctor and a next Doctor. And they kept doing that with Tennant sort of going, oh, is he, is he going? Oh, look, he's regenerating before you thought, you know, all of that. They, they played with that and made it headline grabbing. And I think that's a great... Russell T. Davis is very good at playing playing the programme through the press in that way to, again, grab the important people, which is not us, which is the people out there getting everybody talking about it. And we can never underestimate the skill required to do that, to not oversaturate it, but to just tease people and treat people up. And I think that whole premise is genius for that. I think it's a lovely chocolate boxy Christmas vibe. You know, it is the Christmas of... It, it is a Christmas rendered in the colours of a biscuit tin, you know, with with the period setting that it has and the snow and all those those outfits. And of course, Doctor Who works very well when it transplants science fiction into history. But it, even picture book history is even better because that has a nostalgic comfort, which you want at Christmas time. And then it is sort of it has the judder of be, of having you know silver cybermen force their way into that and and sully that picture with sci-fi dissonance. Uh, and I would add to that, I think it has a beautiful and Doctor Who uh, often, I think, under undersells or underuses its female protagonists or or has them be there for, you know, just to go, oh, look, have we got a girl doing this? Whereas actually it's villain. Um, you know, there's a there's a very feminine thrust through um, Dervla Cohen's character and the fact that she's, you know, the, the inference being there that she's had to you know, um, do things that only women can do in a man's world in order to prosper. And uh, uh, and so she, you, you, there's a bit of sympathy for her running through there. And it's also, it, it kind of, it, it feeds through the subtext as well. Uh, so they're, they're, they're my three, the, the, the wheeze, the, 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 the picture box setting and the added dimension that the female villain has, who's also beautifully, brilliantly played and looks amazing in that red dress. Fantastic. Thank you, Toby. So, Michael, Joe, do we agree with, has Toby won us over? Are we going to keep the next Doctor in for the time being? Michael. You make a convincing case. But I, my, my, you say there's a lot of there's a lot of bad rap for the, the next Doctor, and I'm I'm happy to be the voice of the people on this one. And I think my problem with the next Doctor is that it's it's it is a brilliant weed, and it's fantastic to have David Morrissey in there. And I agree with you on Zerbla Kerwin, but that works for about two thirds of its running length, and then it finally admits that he's not the Doctor any that he isn't the Doctor, and he never was the Doctor. At which point, if you're not the Doctor, it's not very interesting, is it? And so Jackson Lake learns nothing from it to the point where it's the doctor who saves his son. If that if that story is going to do one thing, if there's a if there's a if there's an emotional resolution, it's that Jackson Lake becomes the braver and better man that he could be because of because of everything that he has done and been able to do, and that it was in him. It wasn't just the doctor, but instead it's a script that goes, nah, nah, it's the doctor who saved the day, isn't it? And it's just such a weirdly dull beat to end it on. Yeah, you make a good point, Michael. That's a that's a very valid point. However, I think I would sway to what Toby said earlier, that it is about the wheeze. I think it does get a lot of bad rap because people hang on to the fact that within 
10 minutes, we know David Morrissey probably isn't the doctor because of the, the screwdriver gag. And actually, wouldn't our doctor look a little bit silly if he fell for that for the entire duration of the plot? He's kind of got a tweak to that early, and he does tweak to it early. And we as an audience learn, what, about 20 minutes in, I think? We get the full scene in the barn where we, we come to discover that Jackson Lake is not the doctor. Personally, I haven't got a problem with that. I like the way it plays out. I agree with your point. I think it's very fair that there should uh, David Morris's character should have a little bit more agency in that final scene. Um, but that aside, I'm a great lover of the next Doctor, and certainly rewatching it for this um, again just reinforced how much I enjoyed it for a lot of the reasons that Toby said. Derva Kerwin in particular, I mean, she plays, she is the Lady Painfort of uh, of the new series. She's as, as camp as you can get. <laughs> um, Toby, I love the way that you said she was quite subtle with the way that she um, describes her other occupation, shall we say. However, it's done with such when she says, oh, you know, the Cybermen will rise, how very like a man. I mean, she couldn't be more camp as she says that. She rolls her eyes and it's absolutely delicious more and wonderful. When that enormous bloody great Cyberman robot comes out with her in his stomach. Well, I don't think Doctor Who's ever been more camp and I will include Tom and Arani in that. <laughs> so Even I Kate O'Mara read... couldn't get away with lines like, you cheeky boy. Like her, her <laughs> oh, she could. So... She could. <laughs> I've, um, I've, I've read, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, I've no, no. read Damaged Goods for another episode of this excellent podcast uh, very recently. And I tell you what, middle aged woman in a mecha suit is a surprisingly recurrent theme in the writing of Russell T. <laughs> Davis. <laughs> What's happened so in his I'm, past that we need to know about? <laughs> I'm going to vote for it to stay in, if for no other reason than David Morrissey gives one of my favourite lines of, of current Doctor Who, which is, I shall affect an entrance in the rear. For which oh, he deserves bro. an award for that role, for that line, and said it with a straight face. So, Michael, are you voting this one out? Yeah, for the sake of the format. Oh, that means I'm, I'm the swing vote. vote. <laughs> I'm the swing vote. I was waiting for this all day to be the decider. Oh, you're, the, you're, you're Dame Shirley, Joey. Hello. You're well, the floater, Joe. We're in the unfortunate position that two of Toby's reasons were my reasons not to put this through to the next round, unfortunately. Oh. One of them was I didn't really like the picture postcard, Dickensian snowy um, Christmas that was depicted. I don't know. It just felt too obvious. When Given what comes later, it's quite subtle. But at the time, I remember just going, are we doing this? Are we doing the doctor walking around a market? There's carol singing going on. It, I don't know. And I know it's Christmas and I know I should chill out a bit. Bar but humbug. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, that is what my one Christmas jumper says. So there we go. <laughs> And when it comes to female protagonists, I really like Rosita. And she gets nothing to do in the story. She barely does anything. And so while I think one woman gets an incredible role and is striking, the other is kind of practically ignored. And I, I would like to have seen the two women come up against each other a bit more. I think that might have been quite an interesting dynamic. So I'm going to vote it out, I'm afraid. I'm not what? a massive fan of the Oh, next my Doctor. goodness. So a giant falls at the very first hurdle. The next Doctor is out. Crikey. Sorry, Toby. I feel as if I've done. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I, 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 did, I did text a I remember coining a phrase at the end of the of when it was on. I think my brother had said, you know, because my brother always sends me a message going, well, that was rubbish. <laughs> uh, 
and, and I remember saying that at the time that I'd really enjoyed it, but I did concur with what he'd said. I can't remember what he said, that the big cyber nonsense machine, which I was <laughs> the oh. phrase I was quite proud of uh, at the end, was, was perhaps a, a festive step too far. I've got to say, though, I was a little bit... It does look lovely, though. It's, oh, it's, it's jolly. I like it. But I was a bit bored, and then that great robot came out, and suddenly I was very invested in the episode. David Morrissey, I remember going into it thinking, oh, what an obvious choice to be the next Doctor. And then by the end of it, I thought... Man, I'd love him to be the next Doctor. He is really smooth. So he won me over throughout the episode. And as we're never going to talk about it again, then can I also give a shout out to the fact that it has a scene in a snowy graveyard with uh, the the actor playing the 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 vicar is the son of Andre Morel, who played Professor Quatermass. So we have Professor oh. Quatermass's son in a snowy graveyard getting killed by Cybermen as Dervla Kerwin, gimlet-eyed and dressed in red, looks on. Uh, is I think a classic scene in Doctor Who. Now oh, I feel... none of us had that on our list. <laughs> no, no, I feel only Toby Haydock. Doubly hate that kind of jam. out now. Sorry, oh, guys. I just I just had cyber shades of crap. Uh... Oh, the twenty first <laughs> century festive Taran wood beast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened to the costume, eh? <laughs> Gosh. Okay. So a shock round one. So yeah, let's move on to our next uh, victim. So the wheel is spinning. Sing quickly. Oh, good grief. Uh, reel oh. me in, my special girl. Come on, okay, take enough, me enough, home. Enough, enough please. Good. And... All right. <laughs> <laughs> you asked. Okay. I did. Okay, so it's me, unfortunately. Oh. So I'm going to go second, and I am going to pick Last Christmas. You bastard, that's my favourite. <laughs> well, then, okay. good. So hopefully you'll vote it in. Okay. So. I'm voting Last Christmas because it's probably my favourite too. So my three reasons for Last Christmas is, first of all, I think it's a fantastic concept. Um, we know Stephen Moffat likes doing a spin on established tales. So we, as we will come to later in this podcast, we've got spins on Dickens, we've got C.S. Lewis, we've got Superman the movie, all his individual episodes and Doctor Who's spin on those. But what Last Christmas does that the others don't do is take... Uh, a potpourri of different sources. So we've got aliens in there. We've got The Thing in there. We've got Miracle on 34th Street, all of which are videos that Shona's going to watch on Christmas Day at the end. But on top of that, we've got a huge, great dollop of Inception. So dreams within a dream. And then on top of that, again, we've got Doctor Who. So it's absolute melting pot of all these different sources, which really shouldn't work together because you would imagine they will probably fight with each other, but I think they work superbly together. It's a very, very clever story, which comes to my second point, which is the layered plot. So of these eight that we've picked, I would say that Last Christmas is probably the one that would most work best as a regular episode in a regular season. It feels less Christmassy and it really makes you think. A lot of the other Christmas specials we talked about earlier, Toby, Toby mentioned Voyage of the Damned, which is a great example of a kind of real, you can lie back after a couple of sherries on Christmas Day and watch and enjoy. Last Christmas, you've got to be thinking that that episode really makes you think. Uh, the dream within a dream, within a dream, within a dream. You've got to be on the ball. And think even from the from the rooftop opening where Santa and the elves appear to Clara, you know something's wrong. You know that's not really Santa, but you don't know what it is. You're thinking straight away. Then we cut to the Arctic base and we've got Shona dancing away across to Merry Christmas, everyone, while something's rising up. I mean, it's just... 
the audience must be thinking, what the hell is going on here? Um, but it's, it really works. And there's no obvious solution or obvious answer. It makes you work for it. But it's totally rewarding because all those questions get paid off. And one of my favorite pieces that I've got to mention is really early on. So the doctor um, and Clara have arrived in the medical bay. The base personnel have come in. We suddenly see all the dream crabs descend from the ceiling onto them. And then Santa comes in to save them. Oh, great, but we've kind of seen the dream crab crabs land on our heroes' faces. So it feels like it's a little bit of an odd cut. And at the time I thought, well, that's a bit of unusual editing because they were down and then they've escaped. It's only about another half hour later we discover that is the cut for another dream sequence. So all of this just really pays off. It's very, very clever. There's a lot to think about. And then my third point is it's bittersweet. And what good Christmas story isn't bittersweet? So here we've got the, I mean, I will admit, I cry every single time. We've got the scene with Clara and Danny, which is a dream. Clara wants to kind of revel in the dreamscape with Danny. The doctor's sending her warnings that it's a dream, but she just wants to go with it because she wants to relive her life with Danny. And then at the end, we've got old Clara and the doctor in that beautiful scene that harks back to time of the doctor with the breaking of the, the cracker. It's absolutely glorious. And at the heart of it is the, the line, and I've written this line down because I just think it's beautiful. Do you know why people get together at Christmas? Because every time they do, it might be the last time. Every Christmas is last Christmas, and this is ours. So I'm, I'm filling up as I'm saying it. I just think it's really emotional. It makes you think about Christmas. On a personal note, this first went out in 2014. My mum had fairly recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so she was starting to kind of drift away. And so I'm kind of hearing words like that just kind of remind you of the humanity of Christmas and all coming together just really worked for me emotionally, and it, and it still does. And I think that bittersweet quality is, is glorious. And most of Moffat's stories have that. Um, and that's what's the icing on the cake for me. So those are my three reasons for recommending Last Christmas, the concept, the plot, and the bittersweet nature. I think it's very hard, you know, to, to do a Dream Within a Dream episode now in the wake of so much genre tv that's done that idea to death stuff like um the x-files field trip uh star trek the next generation's good grief what was it called there, there was there was uh night terrors i think it was called in you know and basically every show's done it i think he managed to surprise me about three times in that i kept thinking okay this is the last one now this is reality right up until the end when it's like oh no they weren't base personnel at all and the only other thing I wanted to say about Last Christmas and the reason why, another reason why I want to keep it in, so my vote is definitely to keep it in because you were extremely persuasive, is I think it takes some nuts to have that horror sequence where the dream crabs come down and then have a load of toys coming in slow motion with Christmas music <laughs> and Santa Claus walking into the room. I think Moffitt's got balls, if nothing else, and that swishing tone shows just how ballsy you can be. So it's a, it's a stay in for me. Mr. Yeah. Mills and Mr. Haydock. I I'd agree. It's a, it's a it's a stay in from me. You know that collision of influences and elements is just it's you know it, it is something only Doctor Who does that that well, right? You know other other shows have tried it and always just feels a little bit kooky and self consciously work. I think it's amazing and um and you know as you said as well, Stephen Moffat so clever the way he, he pulls the trick so many times, but high hiding plot twists and devices within the language of 
television. So he goes, well, I wasn't, you know, like in, uh, you know, Forest of the Dead. So hang on a minute, we were just in the room just now and now we're outside, you know, and he can hide all that brilliantly. I would like to give a shout out, though, for possibly one of the best one episode characters of all time in Shona. I think, you know, getting famous. She wasn't supposed to be, was she? Well, no. Don't don't you feel a bit cheated? And I know it's a cliche, but come on, big finish. Yeah. (laughs) You can you can do it. They've done <laughs> um, everything else, right? Come on, well, we've, we've had a story with young Kazran Sadek, so you know anything <laughs> is possible. Mm. Uh, but I just, you know, I think she is she is just wonderful in that, and it's it's no surprise that Faye Marcy is is now you know in in everything. There's so many other wonderful, brilliant things, you know, and or not least in Game of Thrones. Ah, oh, I just I think she's terrific. I think the episode's terrific. Yeah, it's staying in. Fabulous. But I hate to say your vote is superfluous, Mr. Haydock, but we still want to hear from you. Not not for the first time in my life, I'm surplus to retirement. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'm I'm glad because I I would never like to bring the axe down on anything, which is why I'm not, not good at this sort of thing, because I would always feel sorry for the, the thing about to get uh, about <laughs> to get heaved out. So I, as this is going through, should I just sound a note of caution for mm, our please future self? Um, because we'll come and revisit this and find out that we imagined half of it. Or... <laughs> what the hell um, is that? Oh, sorry. Uh, is yeah, is that as a Christmas Day episode? I fear it has too much reliance on with the return, you know, with Danny Pink coming back in, and you know, Cl- Clara, who I think it's fair to say. Stephen Moffat was more fascinated by than everybody else in the world. Um, uh, even though I think that ending is very effectively done and I think Jenna Coleman acts it brilliantly. And and yes, I agree that it's quite sort of difficult and heart-tugging, which I think is is bold and and the emotional content is very, very successfully deployed. I I wonder if if it, and, and I'm I'm aware this is a fault that all Doctor Who fans, and so of course I I I have it. Is, is with an eye on the general public for whom it is perhaps not entry level who. And I think that is a, a fatal flaw in a, in a Doctor Who, even though I think it's synthesis of, you know, Christmas elements and base under siege elements and, and of the, of the dramatic and the, and the sort of festive and all of that is, is very well done. Uh, I would, I would ring that as my cloister bell of caution as we move <laughs> into the next phase. We said earlier, didn't we, about, Voyage of the Damned, and then the next season, the ratings shot up. The ratings went down in season nine, didn't they? After last Christmas, kapow! Yeah. <laughs> they did also launch it against the Rugby World Cup, though, or something. That is a good point. Nine months <laughs> that later, is a good point. Three months later, but <laughs> hey, who's arguing about a few months? Okay, so let's return to the hamster wheel. Oh God, so... what's the other song? I've forgotten it. There's one more. Well, I woke up today. It's spinning. It's spinning. And it is Michael. Michael. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> Welcome to my cruel brain. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to choose a Christmas carol. Ooh. Or I believe as it was called earlier, Matt Smith's A Christmas Carol. Uh, you did which... <laughs> salvage the one I was going to salvage. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, you know... Just for the just for the sake of the format, Joe, a little bit of mystery about where you might go <laughs> for this one. Apologies. Uh, no, so I, I I think this is a wonderful. It's my first 
my first uh, point in favour of A Christmas Carol is that I think this is some of Stephen Moffat's most accomplished, timey-wimey writing since Blink, in terms of that this idea of you know time travel could be a mechanism and that's often what it just is in doctor who you know as people say it's, it's a it's a protagonist delivery device a lot of the time but in in retelling a christmas carol you know and it does feel a little bit it has the danger of feeling a little bit you know my family christmas special that you know every series at some point is going to do its version of a christmas carol but Stephen Moffat gets the idea of time travel as being something about memory as well. That time travel within a lifetime is so much can be so much more powerful and emotive than than just you know oh what if we visited the Romans? Well, it's an entirely different type of story as well. And I think this idea that you could see yourself across a lifetime, that you are different people at different stages, that's an idea that he comes back to I think in Time of the Doctor as well. You know what if you could see all the different people you are along the way? How much you know you go the long way round across a lifetime, but what if you could pop back and see these different things? What would you make of yourself? Um, and I think it, it, it is because you come to it already knowing the structure of the story. I think there are so many bits in it that are deceptively clever. The bit where the doctor and Kazran are watching his old home video, and then the doctor leaves and walks in on the home video. That's one of the best bits of visual storytelling doctor who has ever done. Possibly that humanity has ever achieved. I should I would not, not, to, not to over egg the arguments, but I would, I would comfortably put that forward. That's bold. Um, that is bold. <laughs> But this idea of the Doctor time travel, that's, you know, because a lot of this is is sort of uh, come back from his short story continuity errors, wasn't it? That he wrote his first bit of published Doctor Who fiction, which was all about the Sylvester McCoy Doctor re- needs to borrow a library book in order to save the world. And so in order to do so, he slowly goes back and changes and improves the life of the librarian so that she's less mean spirited uh, and <laughs> and ultimately wants to give him the library book. And it's, it's a fantastic idea. And it was wonderful to, you know, see that played out again for for that mass for that christmas day audience i think my second point as well is sort of coming on from that the 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 whole a lot of adaptations adaptations of a christmas carol lean on the obvious stuff like they build up the love story or they you know they, they build up the social commentary and that's all fine but I really like the father-son dynamic. And in the original in the original book, I think Scrooge's father is a sort of he he's, he doesn't feature, but you're you know, you're told about him. And there's an intimation that perhaps his influence is partly why, you know, Scrooge was not treated well as a young man, was was, was fitted with the wrong sort of values for life, uh, to have a happy life. And Stephen Moffat really draws that out and puts that center stage. And even so far as having Michael Gambon play play both parts. Um that moment where you know the 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 crux of it the climax the ghost of christmas future the twist that kazran's heart breaks not because of anything he's shown but because his younger self mistakes him for his father and you think oh that's that's a real punch to the gut emotional moment isn't it what if you became the person you never wanted to be what if you became the monster in in the wardrobe all that stuff is fantastic and and not to dazzle you with my cosmopolitan lifestyle but i i went to see christopher eccleston give his ebenezer scrooge in uh jack thorne's a christmas carol uh uh a couple of uh, weekend before did, last did you just drop a name there michael I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, I, will pick I, I barely you. even remember it. It's this, these are the sorts of things. This is how I live my life. Um, 
And, you know, but this is, you know, that's a celebrated, that's a really celebrated adaptation that the old Vicks put it on, I think, every year since 2017. And people, you know, whole Guardian articles about how, you know, brilliantly interprets Dickens's story. It does almost exactly the same scene. At the end, spoiler alert, it does almost, it, it comes back to almost exactly the same idea of Scrooge seeing, you know, what would you say to your younger self? What would your younger self think of you? I think that's a real testament. You know, a lot of Doctor Who is really fantastic writing. It gets hidden away and underconsidered because it's Doctor Who, right? I think this is this is top tier writing from Stephen Moffat. In and you know, as we as we've said several times, as Who fans, we are rightly concerned about what the general public think. If we didn't, we'd be Star Wars fans. Um, saying you know, but this is a really brilliant quality TV drama for your um, for your Christmas Day, and I think for my my final and last point, it's just it's also. It looks beautiful. I know we've said that, but it is such a clever, cleverly designed piece of television. You know, that sort of Dickensian effect, but not in detail. And the closer you look and the little weirder and the little details are all strange. So it remains Doctor Who in that in that sort of world that doesn't seem to quite exist at any time. So that's that's my that's my defense of a Christmas carol. I suppose we better cross to Joe because I've got a feeling, I don't know why, but I've got a feeling that he might be taking a slightly contrary <laughs> position. So I've got a feeling that if William Hartnell's first doctor should appear in a Christmas carol, he would say something along the lines of about Matt Smith's 11th doctor. What are we going to do with this meddler? What are we going to do with him? <laughs> I don't think the doctor should play God with people's lives, even to save lives even to make him a better person. I just feel as if the premise is fundamentally flawed. And it's dressed up beautifully. You're right. Pitwode's uh, design and the direction and the shark coming, the fishes, is absolutely gorgeous. It reminds me of something that Stephen Moffat said about the 11th Doctor himself, is that he is an appalling person, but he's dressed up to be very charming and amiable, <laughs> and he's played by Matt Smith, so he gets away with it. And that's how I feel about A Christmas Carol. I think it is a beautiful episode but I just really, really hate that premise. I don't think the Doctor should play God. And that is my, that's like, like I just can't get over that. I remember from the beginning of the episode, I was like, surely he's not going to go back and rewrite this man's life, is he? For his own ends. I mean, I don't like Amy and Rory either. So like, I don't really like. So you were happy for them to die on the spaceship? <laughs> Absolutely. Plus the other 4,000 people that were about to die. The only thing I truly love about that episode is that the costumes from the Wheel in Space turn up because it's <laughs> the same costume designer, isn't it? As the Wheel in Space. So and you can see that they're she's got they've got exactly the same colours as the the people on the wheel. It's fabulous. Um, it's it's a it's a fabulously made piece of television. I just I just don't like it. Oh, so it's a no from Joe. It's a no it's from me, Toby. Um, <laughs> well. Oh yes, it's all, right. it's all right. It's all right, Toby. Do what you need to do. You're in a safe space. <laughs> I mean, I. I, I mean, I don't like being negative about any Doctor Who. Not my, There's a butt coming. Don't not not well, I'm trying to do what you want me to. I'm trying to become the creature that you are forming me, forging me into. This is the one time, you know, you've got a positively inclined Doctor Who podcast. This is the one chance you can vent. Yes, but the reason I've got a positively inclined Doctor Who <laughs> podcast is because um, I don't want to be out here saying mean things about any Doctor Who or, or any creative endeavour. However, um, <laughs> as... You have decided that I should uh, have it within my power to dish out some <laughs> humbug, should I uh, so desire. I would point to, I think what what I think troubles me about the episode, it troubled me certainly when at, at the time, 
of course you you get less set up about doctor who stories as time goes on and and appreciate them for what they are rather than for what they aren't but you know flannel aside um qualification aside why didn't he tra- if he was going to travel back into i don't i'm not i'm not wild about <laughs> time travel within doctor who stories i i i for me that is a fundamental um it 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 introduces fundamental problems within to the format of Doctor Who. Why don't they, people at school? Why don't they just travel back in time and stop that happening? They'd say because you can't within a story. I'd say first law of time. Whatever you know, you you can't. Oh, and now you can. Now you can do what Bill and Ted did do did for jokes. You could do what Curse of Fatal Death did because it was a comic relief episode that played with the idea that it's a show about time travel oh thank god they would never do that in the actual show itself thought i uh (laughs) if you want to travel back in time and stop the events of a christmas carol happening travel back in time where the spaceship people are and stop their spaceship (laughs) or fix their spaceship that's much easier than rewriting a person's personality in history Uh, and unfortunately it may be a glib point, but it points to the fundamental issues with doing that with Doctor Who's format. Mess if you because then it becomes because you you go oh well it's so clever well it's only clever within the rules that you've constructed. I could play the game Hamdi Wamdi Woo really cleverly against you, Michael, because I know the rules because I make them up whenever I want. And you might go <laughs> ah yeah, but I'm playing my Hamdi over my Woo, and I go and over go in go eight. And you go, but Trouble I didn't, you, that. You, and you go, didn't know the rules, did you? I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, Michael? Did you know that you couldn't play a Hamdi over your woo in round eight? Yeah. Stun, you've stunned uh, him yeah, into yeah, silence. Yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas me telling you that means I'm really, really clever because uh, only I could see that coming. Uh, well, of course I did. So, so to me, it's all sort of smoke and mirrors in a way. And I, I do admire that very intricate plotting and all of that, that Moffat does better than anybody else. But I think within that messing, the timey-wimey stuff, I I find, unless it's totally watertight, which by its own nature, it, it, it isn't and can, and I think probably can never be, which is why people never did it before. Um, I think it unravels, it damages Doctor Who a, a bit, actually, because I can never now say, when they say, why can't they just travel back in time and change that? I can't now say they can't. You know, why isn't every small role, why don't they save their lives? When each security guard gets killed, I can travel back in time and stop that happening. Oh, because he's not played by Michael Gambon or, you know, (laughs) suddenly some lives become more important than others, which to me, again, Doctor Who at its best sort of goes, actually, we celebrate small individual moments slash people slash and if you suddenly go well no it's you know this this person deserves the focus this person doesn't it, it to me and as i say look i understand the drive to do it i understand why a lot of and, and and i think Stephen moffat does a lot of that stuff really really cleverly but i think what we lose from doctor who compared to what we gain from it, it's not enough of a payoff for me for those episodes to ever be my favorite i'm not saying they're not good i'm sorry, not saying they're not well run i'm not saying that he he doesn't write brilliantly and is much better at jokes and scares at his best than than anybody else and and all of that i it's just that that element of it means that i couldn't i couldn't 100% you know d- d- you know 
dive on it, tear its paper off and say, this is the best thing ever. You you once delivered sort of the ultimate shit sandwich on an episode of Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife when we did the Silence on the Library because you that was we loved the episodes and we it was couched in so many compliments for Stephen Moffat. But one thing you did say right in the middle of the episode, I'll never forget it, is I do wish the postman had been diverted that day he went to deliver the time traveler's wife to Stephen Moffat's house <laughs> and that he'd never read it. But you're right, you you pull a thread and it unravels, doesn't it? And what was so good about Doctor uh, Empty Child, Doctor Dances, and and Blink, uh, and and those, those was that they were what you know the 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 little um, the nanobots are introduced. They're the payoff. You know, everything everything ties together. And you go, my God, this guy has threads from every single post-it note, and they are, this jigsaw fits together perfectly. And I find that as time goes on, and the stuff gets a bit more complicated. Stuff just happens, and you go. If if you want to do that kind of flourish, it has to be watertight. Uh, and it, and if something as simple as going, why didn't he stop the spaceship, is enough to make your whole story fall down. And I don't think it's enough to say because it wouldn't be as good an episode. Because I think you have to give us an in-story explanation or something, or at least pay lip service to that. Or, or yeah, it's a. So if 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 we're being asked to pick holes, which we are. That's that's why I would stop Christmas Carol. Wow. Okay. So that is probably the biggest shocker because I think Christmas I never Carol saw usually that wins. Yeah. No, it usually wins all the polls for the best Christmas one. Um, Michael, I was going to wholeheartedly support you. Yay! Um, and I'd also saved. We had some feet. We didn't ask for feedback, but I spoke to a couple of the uh, the hamster regulars. So Cy Hart sent us in some feedback about Christmas Carol, and he said that his favourite. Christmas episode, it's Christmas Carol, because it's the most Christmassy Doctor Who ever. He says his favourite Doctor man. being fabulous and carrying the episode pretty much on his own on one of Moffat's most touching and clever scripts. It's visually beautiful too, is what Sly said. The mother on my to, side! Let's burn him! support you, because I think the world, bin, world <laughs> the world building, I think, is amazing. Because who would think about fish flying in fog and music that resonates ice crystals and people being left as collateral for loans. All these <laughs> magical things all come together with the set design. And it's, I think it's a beautiful episode. Murray Gold's music, nobody's mentioned, but I'm going to give out a shout to that, particularly Abigail's song, which I know everyone was up in arms when they thought Catherine Jenkins might be singing on Doctor Who. She's a great but singer, right? She's a great singer, but she's no actress. I'm sorry. Not, I didn't and mention and her I acting, just though. don't believe the romance because I just don't believe her as an actress in that role. Yeah, and whilst I'm talking about acting, limited. I do wonder if Michael Gambon is actually a little bit embarrassed being in that episode as well, because well, he I goes read... for that sort of growly, snarly performance. There's a few moments where he has a lot of depth, but I think there's a lot of moments where there's no subtlety at all in that. Form. He did an interview in 2015 where he said he didn't think he was very good in it and that he didn't quite get it. He said he had great fun, but he didn't quite get it, and he thought he'd done a bad job. I I think he's marvellous in it personally, so. I was going to support you, Michael, but it looks like we are voted out. And Christmas I feel Carol terrible. I feel terrible. No, now. don't feel terrible. It's seven. great. There's got to be winners and losers, Toby. I, yeah. yeah, I don't like the responsibility. <laughs> well, look, if it falls to me to be the people's champion, then I will. I will wear. Then that. we're in a sorry state, Michael. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Can this world do no better than you as its champion? Apparently not. <laughs> right. So we are on to our next. Gosh, what other shockers are we going to get? So the wheel is spinning, the wheel is spinning, and it's Joe. Oh. 
Oh, what and a surprise. <laughs> I would like to choose fix. I would like to choose the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe. The Are you own... going to champion it? Or of, course, <laughs> of course I'm not going to champion it. <laughs> I've got about 25 reasons why I wouldn't choose this episode to go through to the next round. This is the oh. only... Well, oh, so you can you can choose one that you want to consign to hell for all of eternity. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's I Christmas. Thought we, I thought we were just having to choose no, one. No, no, go no mad. You, you can condemn it. You can pick oh, three oh. reasons why to condemn a story. Oh, okay. I thought I did four and four as I was sort of choosing my reasons. Go for but it. But the yeah. Doctor Winner, it's literally the only episode of Doctor Who that I've fallen asleep live watching. I was <laughs> so bored. <laughs> Remember when Rusty Davis talked about Planet Zog? That is yep. literally Planet Zog. I don't remember a thing about the details in that planet. I have watched that episode a few times, but I remember there's some trees, there's some lights going up in the air, there's some wooden people. There's is absolutely that just the actors. Well, those kids are in it as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just it is so boring that planet, isn't it? Like there's there's nothing going on there. There's really no incident going on there. And so, yeah, for, for that reason alone, I think it is possibly the dullest world we've ever visited in a Doctor Who story. They find a portal to a BBC One Christmas ident. They do, <laughs> they do. From 2010. <laughs> with David Tennant in the background and narrated it. My second reason is the caretaker sequences at the beginning. Now, I like fun Doctor Who, but and I'm very, very rarely, I love Time and the Rani, I'm very rarely embarrassed by Doctor Who, but I was watching that on Christmas Day with my family as those chairs were dancing around the room and the lemonade taps and all of that going on, and they're looking at me and the judgment I'm getting, I thought, you know, I'm 40 now, I, I thought I was beyond all of that. I was, oh man, I could have died. And you've got sort of Matt Smith at his... You know, quirky, worky, timey, wimey, sonicky, wonicky, jammy, dodgery, worst. I think this is the point where Matt Smith, I think he doesn't give up in the role because he still has great moments the next season, but essentially they're writing him as a series of quirks rather than a character in his own right. And they're really annoying quirks. Like, you know, you know, Matt Smith is my least favorite doctor. And that is a controversial opinion. And I think this is the tipping point for me. Oh my God, Michael, you look so shocked. One of my favourites. Well, he's everybody's favourite. Yeah. <laughs> but then Paul McGann's my other favourite, so I'm just a contrary shite. So. Yeah, have, you ever, have you ever seen him when he does anger? You know, you embarrass me, River. Oh, it's just terrible. Um, but sorry, I'm so sorry oh. to disillusion you here on Christmas Day. Um, so those sequences alone would be enough to consign this stuff. And Moffitt writes great comedy, you know, and he he's been writing for kids for a long long time so i don't know what went wrong here it's so saccharine it's so sentimental i feel as if i've had that tea that john pertwee makes in invasion of the dinosaurs with 18 sugars in it <laughs> by the time i finish it um and my last reason is oh the kids the kids of the stephen moffat era it it baffles me how a family man can have children in his era so often and just none of them are likable. I don't really find any of them believable. The most believable kids I think in Doctor Who are in the Sarah Jane Adventures. And I think they're written with a sort of an adult's mind. They're sort of young adults rather than children. In the Moffat, they're just so annoying. And in this, I can't even remember their names. I call them Specky and Bossy. 
in this one. <laughs> and they absolutely, I call the children of the Moffat era the brood of the damned because oh, <laughs> there's not a one of them beyond, he got it right the first time with that young Amy Pond. She yeah. was great. And then from that point on, I mean, list of night terrors, that kid, that that the bunch that were in, in the forest of the oh. night. I mean, you wouldn't want to look after any of these children. Angie and Artie. I mean, where do I stop? But the two in this, I can't remember a thing about them either, beyond the fact that they've lost their parents. And so I, I don't even really consider them characters. They're just ciphers going through a non-existent plot on a badly sketched world with a big dollop of syrup at the end, all this Mother Earth nonsense that comes in at the end. I know people that really champion this episode. I just think it's a bit too extreme with the sentiment and just a bit lacking with the detail, which so, is not, Joe, not Stephen Moffat's thing, really. You need to come off the fence a little bit, Joe. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. We're not sorry. quite getting what you're trying to say. It's but... so boring, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so... The rest of us need to decide. I will say, first of all, I did get one other bit of feedback from Mr. Fraser Gregory. Oh, don't listen to him. Who oh. puts this as his 29th best oh. Doctor Who story ever. Um, look, Michael looks appalled again. <laughs> I'm, 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 one, I'm wondering who uh, who it beats the 29th position and who is languishing in 30th. <laughs> he actually said it's his favourite Christmas episode. Uh, oh. He said, Christmas dinner with the family. That's for me what Christmas is all about. We get it in this story. It's not end of the world stuff. It's just a simple tale about the people we love. It's the first Christmas special I watch every year. And I'm already counting down the days till I can watch it again. That could be my problem then, because I had such a dysfunctional family growing up. So my mum was essentially Jackie Tyler. You know, all those people sort of come around her flat, all those people that pile in in Aliens of London. That was effectively my house growing up. So I could buy into that sort of setting. But this sort of picture postcard family in Dr. Willard and Water, I, I never knew any of that. So maybe that's another reason why this doesn't chime for me. And of course, it's it's been it's been sent down to number twenty. Is it twenty seventh in Fraser's or twenty ninth? Twenty ninth. Yeah, it would have been twenty seventh if only it wasn't for the Dominators and Megloss. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He had some very true. perverse choices. Does Mister Gregory? His number one was the Happiness Patrol. Well, it's nothing if not contrary. Argue. I can't argue with that one, but I will argue with this. Sorry, Toby. Uh, is it? Is it? Is it me now? No, well, the, I, the three I, of I us. To... Rude, I was just being rude about Fraser. <laughs> He, he loves you, it. You do, some, you do some advocacy or otherwise, Rod. I'll I'll come back in. I bit. think I'm going to agree with Joe on this one, oh, and I am else. very rarely anti Moffat, but this was, to me, I think this is his his biggest flop. So we promised Narnia, aren't we? We think we're going to get an exciting twist on Narnia. We get a box and some trees, and I think to use that lovely word, anticipate. Oh, Toby, you'll have to. You'll have to give me the word. And, and disappointment. Thank you very much. I can't get my word. But this is the perfect example of that. We don't get Narnia at all. We just get some poor acting from two children. Cyril only has one expression. That's his mouth just <laughs> gaped open. Whatever's happening. It's like Lily. watching Daniel Radcliffe in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, isn't it? He's got like two, much two expressions. <laughs> it's much worse. And his glasses are so obviously um, designed to give him, to exaggerate his eyes. But, and then the mouth is just open and that's it. But there isn't a plot. We don't have any tangible threat. There's no villains. I love Stephen Moffat's comedy, but my God, those three tree harvesters are oh, just yeah. painful. They These are, are painful. 
these are Androzani trees or whatever it is. I remember Bill. I, I, I love painful. Bill Bailey, but I remember him, remember him hearing him say that and thinking, "This is what Doctor Who sounds like to people who don't like yeah. Doctor Who, isn't it?" <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then we end up, we end up with I'm going to absolutely cringe as I say it, the humany womany, oh. which is. I, I I thought at this point Stephen Moffat had lost the plot. Thank God he got it back again. This was this is his one ab or yeah one of his very very few aberrations in my mind, but I think it's terrible. I love the ending with Amy and Rory. Suddenly Doctor Who's back again, and Amy within one line is more real to me than any of the characters I've been watching for the previous hour. Um, but the rest of it, personally, I am very happy to consign to Peace Pottage. Toby and Michael. Yeah, I mean, I can't really defend it. I, I, I think I would say I, I, I like the idea of the Doctor and the Widow and the Wardrobe more than I like the execution. I quite like what it's going for. I quite like that it has, you know, there is a sort of attempt, as you say, at doing the Narnia when, when you first go through to that world, and it does feel very different and very, and very strange and magical. I like, I like that. I like the idea of trying to have a sort of genuinely adult relationship with Christmas and trying to say something about the different experiences of it between children and adults and you know the sort of reflexive thing of being an adult with children at Christmas I quite I like the idea of all of that but I think in its execution it just ends up being like those people who have you know perfectly manicured Christmas trees with all of the matching ornaments and you know they dress their children up all in beiges and browns so they look like medieval peasants and you think it's all it's all very classy it's all very refined it's all very well done but it's it's lacking out completely absent of any joy of any actual substance to have any of it you know i'm not actually getting anything out of it and i, I, I think you're right rob that you know he can uh you know stephen moffat's done some heartbreaking writing in you know in his time some of some of the you know, some of my favourite lines of Doctor Who, you know, uh, the bit, you know, precisely here where he did it right was, you know, the scene that everyone loves with uh, the Doctor putting Amy to bed in the Big Bang, you know, and when you'll wake up, you'll have a mum and a mum and a dad and you won't remember me anymore, which gets me every single time. And but there's none of that here. It just ends up on Christmas Day, sat there around with everyone all jolly watching a woman going, I don't want to watch you die! <laughs> and you think, I just don't know it hits the right vibe, you know? Uh, and when it's him from Pointless it possibly takes <laughs> a little bit away too. Well, like, bizarrely, I will say I think the last scene with Amy and Rory now that chimes, because those are characters we care about, it's relationships you know, we're used to, and the actors have brilliant chemistry, but it's like a minute at the end of the episode. Toby, also, Toby, I think we're condemning it to the the pit. But do you have any words of defence for the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe? Well, I, well, I will give words of defence, partly because I don't want it to seem like I'm I'm down on the Moffat era because I think Moffat does some things with Doctor Who that that nobody else does as as well. Uh, and I actually like the picture postcard stuff because not because my Christmases were like that, although I am a country boy and so I do identify much more with sort of snow and trees and 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 that cold bite of the country air than I do with the urban sprawl that you did describe, Joey. But my childhood was far from Id idyllic, but I think I find I find comfort in that um, and, and, and see that as an aspiration. And I like the atmosphere that that gives Doc too, and I think Moffat channels that a lot. And, and indeed, it was part of what I chose about, although it's not a Moffat, the the the, the next Doctor is I, I, I like that sort of um, 
evocation because then I find Doctor Who interrupting it, um, the sort of dissonance that Doctor Who does well, and I in, enjoy that. Uh, I uh, and and I like that sort of fairy tale thing, and I actually like what he does with Matt Smith, who is this, you know, this this sort of slightly crazy anarchist who gets things wrong. I quite like the alienness, you know. That quite often the doctors have been attempted to 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 be portrayed as an alien, but by doing that, they make him abrasive and un, unkind. Mm. And that's never worked, even when people have t- tried to do it with the best of reasons. But I think what they do with Matt Smith is they go, oh, he doesn't know what wine is like. Oh, he doesn't quite know how to make a bed. He forgets to put beds in the bedroom <laughs> because he's actually like an overgrown child. He's a he's a child. He's what a child would be in a in a magical grown up body. And, and again, I, I find it terribly moving that Doctor Who is is always harks back to our childhoods whether they were good or bad and when they were b- bad it tried to you know it, it, it's it's nonetheless part of an, a, a sort of an idealization that we did so i i find the way that moffat so that the fact that his kids are you know kids who could almost be from the narnia stories from a picture book i i kind of find a good gateway into all of that and and how he makes the doctor i find that i find that does chime in with the way the show should be without me actually knowing that was a way the show could be. So it's it's always been it's always surprised me and yet made perfect sense to me. And I and I think that's a real positive note of of how Moffat portrays the Doctor. I watched this again for this because it's never been one I've particularly thought I really want to watch a Christmas. <laughs> What's it? It's not called that. What's it called? The, the, doctor, the doctor, the Widow, the widow and the Wardrobe. <laughs> and. And and again, I like that kind of. I like the ones set in the past. I like um, Madge's Claire Skinner. I I like that sort of character. I love the running joke about her being a terrible driver. You know, full of those lovely. I liked the bedroom. I liked the lemonade tap. I thought that again, Tyler. I then found it as soon as it went into the wardrobe or the whatever. I I I kind of that to me. I remember much less about. It's got the three comedy stooges, three great actors, Paul Baisley and Arabella Weir and and Bill Bailey. I actually like the I like anything that's a bit of a soppy ending. So I like the oh he's you know they've they've saved the voice of Mister Smith. <laughs> uh, I you know that's a, it, it's a fairly straightforward you know slightly cliche thing, but I, I I thought it worked and and because it's got that. Britain in the 40s stiff upper lip wartime stuff that all that all that's all there do you know what I mean um and and it and it and, and the Amy scene was effective at the end but you know if we're gonna have ones that will fall by the wayside even though I could cheat now and go well I would like to save it to show what a nice <laughs> and it would not be saved anyway I, I would I, I would actually probably fight for a Christmas carol more than hey. so I would I would have to now I, I, I accept the fate of the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, even though it has much to recommend it. And I, I enjoyed watching it this time around uh, when in preparation for this. I, it had lots of pleasant surprises for me, but I, I can see why it's not one that uh, people, you know, herald as, 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 as a classic. Apart from Fraser Gregory, but he is a man of questionable taste and morals. Thank God somebody said it. <laughs> Fine. So in round one, we have actually 
only championed one and we've lost three. Oh, wow. Which is not how I was expecting this to go <laughs> at all. So quite a shocking start. So let's move on to the other four. In a way, this makes round two a hell of a lot easier because we've got far less to choose from in round two. So I am going to spin the magic wheel again. And I have the joy of presenting my second choice even though I have Christmas bells playing in my ear incessantly now from this. Thank goodness, turn that off. Okay, so I'm going to pick as my second one just to show that I love Stephen Moffat and I felt very dirty for um, being insulting of him in the previous round. I'm going to pick Husbands of River Song as my second choice, um, which I've probably appreciated more over time. I don't think it necessarily completely clicked for me first time round, apart from the ending which obviously we'll come to but it's one that's really grown on me over the years so first reason why i think um husbands of river song really works would be the comedy so i we talked previously about in fact we've just talked about the doctor the widow and the wardrobe uh and i was saying how i thought the comedy felt felt absolutely flat here i think it absolutely sings um and I think probably of the eight stories we've got here, this is probably the most comedic. I know we've got Runaway Bride still to talk about, but I think Husbands is probably the most comedic of all of them. Um, Stephen Moffat went on record many, many times in all the press calls saying it was designed as a 1940s screwball comedy. And I think you really get that because you've got um, Alex Kingston and you've got Peter Capaldi. Yes, you mix in other people. Obviously, we start with Matt Lucas, who I think is absolutely lovely in this. Um, I was so happy when he came back. Um, and obviously, the character of Nardole is significantly expanded, even though we don't really know who he is or what he is. But I think he's great in this. Um, we start up with the mix-up of, is this the doctor? Is it the surgeon? Then we've got the mix-up of, who's River's husband? Is it the doctor? Is it King Hydroflux? So you've got all these kind of 1940s mix-up, confused identities, that kind of genre. And I think the comedy absolutely sings the doctor coming in to fix um, King Hydroflux whilst the four billion people are watching him is beautiful. We've got the lovely visual gags of the head uh, and the great big robot. How later on we've got one of my favourite scenes, the Doctor going into the TARDIS and doing, he gets his opportunity to do his, this is bigger on the inside than on the outside and he absolutely milks it and he's glorious. The Doctor's back having fun, he's falling on his back in the snow, laughing his head off, very different to where we left him in uh, Heaven Sent and Hell Bent. Um, and it's very refreshing for that. I mean, again, earlier we talked about was last Christmas possibly too much tied into the continuity. This almost feels like the show has been rebooted after, after Hell Bent. We've got a, a slightly different take on the Doctor, um, and he's definitely embracing the comedy a lot more. So comedy is my number one reason. My second reason is the Doctor and the River relationship. Um, obviously, Matt Smith and Alex Kingston were the mainstay of the Doctor River, but my God, Peter Capaldi knocks it out of the park far, far more. Um, and it's that tonal shift that we get about 40 minutes in. Everything's scruple comedy, laughs, laughs, laughs. But we get to that minute where River is talking about the Doctor and we get a tonal shift when she finally realises who is the man stood behind her as she's threatened by the 
the villains of the piece. Um, and he just, I mean, Peter Capaldi is the master of the understatement and underplaying and just that beautiful, quiet, hello, sweetie, the way he looks at her. Oh, my God, it breaks your heart. It's absolutely glorious. There's so much charm and charisma on that screen. Uh, and then, of course, we get to the final scenes on Derillium. Um, and I assume there was not a dry eye in the house. There certainly wasn't here. Possibly, Toby, I will go back to your earlier point. I will concede it's probably more for the fans because I think the non-we would probably say, Derillion, what's the point? I, th I think the point is made. I think because we've been following all the way through, River said multiple times that her diary is filling up. So obviously once her diary is full, that's the end of her story. So I think the seeds are sown for people who don't necessarily get it, but they're still quite subtle. Um, but for us that have been watching that relationship um, blossom over, over a couple of years, I think the ending on Derillion is, is absolutely perfect and beautiful and I'm so pleased they had 24 years together um, and finally my final recommendation for this is the look of it again right at the beginning because we've got all that comedy I think this has got a really rich kind of comic book um, style I know we, we've got again Mysterio still to talk about which is very heavily influenced by comic book but this has got real comic book style we've got that very Disney-esque town that we start in at the moment we move literally to a flying saucer I don't think apart from Dalek Invasion of Earth we've ever seen a flying saucer that looks quite like a flying saucer like that um, we've got Hydroflax we've got the Harmony Shoal heads um, it's lovely. I mean, it just looks very, very comic book. And it's got great energetic direction from Douglas McKinnon, and it feels like a big Christmas blockbuster. Um, so, yeah, the look of it would be my third point. I was actually going to start off and not give you any of these three reasons at all and just say my reason for recommending this is that Ramon is in it, and he's a very uh, easy on the eye. Um, but I will, I will avoid, I will rein that in and give comedy the relationship and the look as my three main reasons for recommending husbands of river song i don't think the details are important at the end like you say it's important to the fans the derillium stuff and all of that that seeks into the science in the library it's a romance isn't it so all that matters is the sentiment at the end and they get their happy ending and that's what works there so it works on both levels they're it happy works. sad ending it beautifully dovetails into series four and yeah we get our happy ending as well. Mm. Yeah, my, oh, sorry. I was going to say, my wife, who is who will who will dutifully sit and watch Doctor Who with me, but it's very much a not we. Um, she she absolutely loved this episode. She and she loved that romance between between the Doctor and Riverton because you say you're given enough of it. You just need to know that this is a story between two people who have constantly been crossing paths and missing each other and backwards and forwards. And this is this is when maybe they realise it's the last time. You know, I think. I, I, you can almost worry about that too much as a fan sometimes because you've, you know, you've had someone walk in on you watching Attack of the Cybermen or something like that. Uh, but, but you know, I think it works. I think it works so well. And I mean, for my part, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I vote in favour of it. I think Peter Capaldi's "Hello, sweetie" is probably one of my favourite line deliveries in all of Doctor Who. Although Catherine Tate's "Oh no, I've done it again" in the Star Beast is uh, challenging. Is <laughs> <laughs> a recent challenger for that one. Um, but yeah, and I and I love that line about um, my diary is almost full. Why is that sad? And said because the man who gave it to me would know how long a diary you'd need. I just think, oh, of oh, course, you've got it. Yeah. Now that's when he gets the details right, isn't it? It's a yeah. line like that. Yeah, Toby. Oh. He's brilliant to all of that stuff. 
he's very good at all of that stuff and and a line here or an aphorism there that is very profound and very special He's winding up. He's winding up. You're itching. <laughs> Let You're the hate flow through this is you. The man of what have we done to you, Toby? You were the it's... man of optimism and good cheer. We've taught him to hate. Oh, the <laughs> No, it's it's not that I hate. I and I'm I'm perfectly prepared to concede that I am wrong. Um, and and I think this is okay because I see people getting cross with Doctor Who for not being how they see it. I don't get cross with it but it, uh, for me one of the really key things about Doctor Who was that it was the one program on the telly where you didn't feel that you fitted in because you fulfilled the romantic ideal every single other program ends with the triumph of usually the guy and the girl it was usually the guy and the girl certainly was in the idea snogging and that being the key to happiness. And I always felt that that was not where my strengths as a person lay as a kid. So there, I was certainly not very confident in all of that stuff. And I felt that Doctor Who carefully avoided that. I mean, there are actually very few romances in Doctor Who, even amongst supporting characters, you know, there's doesn't exactly sizzle between sizzle between Frank and Maggie Harris, does it? And uh, <laughs> you know, and, and and you know, Petra and Greg in Inferno are kind of you know that unusual thing of people that we see kind of fall in love. Even when the companions fall in love, it's usually at the very end of an episode and uh, the, the end of their contract. And I still and think you know the hottest moment in Doctor Who is those two cavemen fighting in episode four of An Unearthly Child. <laughs> you would, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Find them at hairycaveman.com. Oh, it was all downhill <laughs> from that point on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fire, you'll be putting the fire emoji on Zar, won't you? Uh, <laughs> Mind uh, you, you're talking about Greg Sutton. Well, yes, indeed. Yes. Although, I, 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 yes, I think uh, I think he, Derek Nurek was a bit of a handful. Um, so... <laughs> is that right? In, in which way? Well, well. <laughs> Shot <laughs> revelations for our even panel more. show today. <laughs> um, but so I, I want to sound a note of caution because it, to me it's a, and, and as I say, it, it, I feel churlish because there are so many, it's a really handsomely mounted production and I love the, I love the comic energy of it. I think Greg Davis is having an absolute ball and and that's the kind of, Christmassy energy I want from a Christmas episode, absolutely. Where you're kind of going, this is a bit larger than life, but it 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 works because it's Doctor Who, and this is Christmas Doctor Who, and this is what we're doing. We, you know, we're having this slightly bolder uh, uh, rendition of the show, but actually, its emotional core and fundamental core is still real, and that's that's when Doctor Who is at its best. And Moffat is so very good at, at that of doing real funny, uh, but also actually quite profound and, and moving i think we we he's too often easily dismissed as you know glib sarky comedy guy when he's he's actually his, his humanity is 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 often humanity of great depth and and great he's very perceptive um about about people and about the the tragedy of life but also the the the, the joy of it um but 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 every program has the romantic ideal as as the end game and isn't it isn't it important that we just have one show and it's the show about 
robot men walking down the steps of St Paul's Cathedral, the one about, um, you know, psychopathic telephone flexes, the one about scary uh, statues that goes, there's all of this other stuff that is beyond the stuff that everybody else does. One, The one argument I give to that, Toby, is the speech that River gives. So we talked about it earlier when she's confronted by Harmony Shoal on the ship and she said, you know, the doctor doesn't love me. He doesn't believe and I, I can't remember the exact wording, but basically love is too small a concept for the doctor. He's bigger yeah. than all of that. And I think that kind to me, that kind of, because that's a very important um, beat in the story. And I think she kind of describes that I should have written that quote down, but it's it's she's really saying it it isn't just your smoochy smoochy traditional love. He, he, and yeah, I, I, he, I take exactly what you're saying, but I think it does, does enable us to have our well. cake and eat it. And I and, and I certainly will watch the story and, and allow me to make my own interpretation of it and, and and shove the bits I don't like. And that's very clever that he enables you to do that. But I still am aware that I'm having to manually get the forklift truck uh, <laughs> and, and lift those boxes and put them to one side because and that everybody else will be will be going no no they're that's they're you know they're they're in love they're doing that they're doing the thing they're doing the thing and i'm aware it's a totally personal thing but but i think it's a such a key thing about doctor who that it does it does make me sad that doctor who ever kind of went there when it had got away with never going there for so long uh, and even though I think Alex Kingston is great and River Song is a brilliant character, I remember we say this in our podcast, don't we, Joe? I, I remember when she was a, a friend of mine emailing me and saying, "Well, will we see her again?" And for, for me, River Song's story was much better when we were told about it that they had this great relationship, but that we'd never see her again. We, as a viewer, it was so powerful to go, mm. "Oh my God, he's just met." this amazing person that we can tell from the acting of the two and the unsaid and the unspoken. And I said to my friend, don't be ridiculous. She's never going to come back. That's the whole point of the story. And then it showed what I know and she, she did. And they filled it all in and brilliantly. And at times with great cleverness. And, and I remember being in a pub when watching the 11th hour and her appeal appearing in the, the the post credits to show you know what's coming next and got a massive cheer and I found myself cheering as well and go yeah because we love Alex Kingston and Stephen Moffat writes for a brilliant and she plays the part so well and she has a rapport with the doctors that's really winning and it's and, but but it comes at a cost it's like when I eat a chocolate eclair I know it's <laughs> a wonderful thing I know every single <laughs> is beautifully formed and it's absolutely to my taste but then it gets to my tummy. And it and it and it fundamentally alters my shape, structure, <laughs> and health. <laughs> wow! So Doctor Who can damage your health? Oh my <laughs> God! <laughs> We've all learned that one. So you know, I'm a I'm an old romantic at heart, so I can absolutely buy into romance in Doctor Who. I don't like it when it gets sexual so lines like the end of nightmare and silver or whatever it is where he's going on about clara having too short of a skirt i'm just like we should never ever go there or the end of flesh and stone where amy's trying to get in bed with the doctor and fucking on her wedding night we should never go ever go there but the sort of the romance of this i do like river song i think you can overdose on river song and series six did overdose on river song and i'll stick to the sight of her by the end of it um they started to pit sort of 
space out her appearances after that and she became a lot more palatable as a result never bought into the matt smith alex kingston chemistry not once but i really bought into peter capaldi and alex kingston and i think you said it right it's how peter capaldi looks at her he looks at her, not like she's the most desirable but just like the person he wants to spend the rest of his life with or yeah. 24 years um so for that reason alone i'm keeping it in I, I i like the romance and i absolutely buy their relationship in this so i think it's staying here we've got a, a a clear word of caution from toby but i think michael and joe are putting it through so husband stays in Christ, wow. we're down to the last three uh so let us turn that wheel stop singing and songs we have... i have there's no there's none left just ding Michael. dong ding, oh <laughs> ding dong hello uh, ding dong. Hello. sorry the quiz was still happening in the background uh, <laughs> okay uh my choice excellent i i would rod, rod serling mode uh submitted for your delectation a portrait of a man a man who was a boy a boy who had a cold a boy who swallowed a special gemstone oh, and, beca- no. <laughs> and became the hero of Doctor Who and the Return of Do- Doctor Mysterio. And I I like the Return of Doctor Mysterio, so uh, I would like to put forward some. Re- I would like to put forward some defenses of this episode and myself. Um, first no, point: you don't need to defend it. It's celebrate it. Celebrate, celebrate it. it. Celebrate celebrating it. the episode. Defending my choice. To celebrate it. <laughs> um, this got mentioned before, so I think I think I get the impression that part of the um, part of the received wisdom about the return of Doctor Mysterio is that it's the one it's the one that forced Chris Chibnall to start doing New Year's specials because they'd run out of things to say about Christmas. And I don't think that's true. I just think the problem is that too many people who watch this were born this side of the millennium and are from America and <laughs> were not born in the latter in the UK in the latter half of the 20th century and therefore do not associate Hollywood blockbusters with 10 a.m. on the 29th of December, which is really <laughs> the only, which is really the only natural time to watch Superman three or uh, or the Black Hole or something like that. I refuse to believe that any human being has watched Young Sherlock Holmes when it's dark outside, uh, and I think that the Return of Doctor Mysterio perfectly captures a very specific memory of Christmas, which is that it's where the big, huge blockbusters are just mm. given out, like like there's so many sweets in the jar in the quality street, like, oh, go on, have a have a Richard Donner Superman five days in, why not? This would be a whole trip to the cinema on any, any other time of the year. Um, so it's that very particular Christmas memory, and I, in some ways that's more important and that's more meaningful than just dressing up and going, oh, oh Santa's a robot, not to preempt discussions of a beloved classic elsewhere in the episode <laughs> it's not just pointing at all of the things that that christmas is about and that's absolutely fine it's pointing to the things that that actually we all associate with christmas and we don't realize it as you say you know he as toby said steve moffat is very good at noticing those things about people and about shared experience that we don't necessarily notice ourselves and i think the return of dr mysterio gets that gets that perfectly um you know doctor who does superhero movies yeah there's the danger that it can start to get a bit you remember at the end of that simpsons clip show where they go hey has bard ever what if marjorie was a robot has Bud ever owned it? It's like, hey, has Doctor Who ever done a superhero? <laughs> the carcass, I guess. Um, yeah. 
but you know but but he goes no actually there is a way of doing this there is already an existing language and it's always with british television we don't have superheroes superheroes don't exist in britain whenever they go marvel oh actually do you know what there's captain britain or there's union jack and you go yeah but not really not really it's it's, it's not that's, that's not our image of ourselves in 1930 and 1940 and 1950 you know we have we have doctor who we have a madman who flies around in a box and that collision of him and wham the american stereotype the the language for that in britain is an american import it is watching it on your television and also it's that um you know i'm uh you know when i when i was a kid not to not to uh not to age myself down here but uh you know i used to love um my main memory of superman is actually the uh the lois and clark the new adventures of superman oh, or just, yes. or just the new adventures of superman it's also over here because we're not until they got history. married then it got a bit boring yeah, but what that did was that it it was it's probably the closest that any that I'm aware of that any version of Superman has got to redoing the Richard Donner version in any meaningful way because it realizes that actually what's great about those films is not everyone punching everyone and flying around you know oh my favorite bit of Superman is the bit where he fights himself in a junkyard no it isn't it's when he takes it's when they have the lovely dinner it's when they go flying it's the romance of it it's the romance of superheroes that that idea that the superhero is not troubled superheroes can be good i read watchmen i thought it was good but you know but the thing about superman is that he's uh you know he he who's grown up a human right you know there's probably something a little bit conservative about assuming that he'd actually a little bit tory about assuming that he'd actually still have more in common with his kryptonian heritage than uh than having been brought up in the u.s he's a human with incredible powers and i think I think this really nails that. And it's a very Christmassy thing to have it on television right here and now. And it, you know, it it it, it achieves it on a TV scale by by emphasizing, you know, the charm and the romance of superheroes, which when we are absolutely inundated with superheroes, and even someone who quite likes a lot of that stuff, there's too much of it, and too much of it is bad. And so little of it actually remembers that bit of superheroes that's really good. And I liked it because it reminded me of playing with my Lego when with chill blains uh and you know having a lovely time at christmas and i won't be at it well a strong defense i'm going to agree with you michael hey! i love the return of doc's mysterio i think it's excellent i think you're absolutely right it's a memory of superhero films even some of us that are a little bit older than you have a love of superheroes and remember going to the cinema to see superman the movie first time round. um but what I think this does cleverly is, yes, it's Doctor Who dressed up as superhero, but it doesn't do the superhero cliches. We haven't got a super villain. We haven't got the CGI villain and is going to end up in a big punch up between two blobs of CGI. We avoid all of that. We focus more, as you rightly said, on the love story between Grant and Lucy. And that's where the heart of it is. The superhero bit is really just a little bit of dressing around the side. In a way, this is almost going back to Stephen Moffat's screwball comedies. It's almost a little bit, again, doing the kind of mistaken identities and mix up between. And it focuses far more on that than anything else that it, it doesn't steal from the superhero genre much beyond that. And I think it's better for it because if we'd had a you know, a super villain in, in Doctor Who, I think that clash might have been a step too far. So I think we focus on the right elements of superheroes. Um, and yeah, I love it. I agree with that cold opening. It's absolutely glorious. Who on you, Joe, for uh, being negative about 
children actors in Stephen Moffat's screen. I think that child actor uh, in the opening cold open of Doctor Mysterio is absolutely spot on perfect. Um, a, a diamond in the rough, Rod. Okay, but there are some. There are some out there, and he is one of them. Uh, I think it's a clever plot. I, it bounds along. It's full of heart and charm. Yeah, I love it. So it's staying in for me. I disagree, oh. but I'm keeping it in because you were, your argument was so compelling, and I just love listening to you. And I was like, yeah, if I was you, I would absolutely keep this in for all those reasons. I don't like the romance because I think she's overbearing and he's too meek. And I actually think that's <laughs> going to turn out to be a very toxic relationship. And they'll be on the front cover of Take a Break in a few years' time or whatever the American <laughs> equivalent is. I think the aliens that peel their heads open. I mean, how could you possibly make that a, a nondescript alien? There's nothing to them at all, apart from the, the fact same that they peel their previous heads open. Year. Oh, it's I know. They were pretty boring that year as well. I can tell you now, if I had seen this when I was eight years old, that would be like the bit in Superman 3 where the circuits come over the lady's face and would have terrified the living bejesus out of me in the best possible way for the next well, It's the sound effects to play with the peel back and the bits of gunk and goo. It's yeah, it's, it's quite graphic for Christmas Day. And, and in for entirely subjective reasons, I don't like superhero movies. So this was never really going to chime with me because that's not what I would choose to watch. I like Doctor Who. I, I don't watch you know, Marvel movies, things like that. Um, and that bloody squeezy toy. I never wanted to leap in and machine gun something so much. Did you I not mean, go and buy one, Joe? Could you buy them? Oh, yeah. It's on edge. Anyway, I'm keeping it in, though, because that was a compelling argument. Toby, is it isn't it the longest cold opening in all of Doc Two as well? It's about one hundred and thirty years long. <laughs> it's not, it's it feels like I think it. you'll find it's one hundred and twenty nine, but it's, yeah, it's about, it's about eight or nine minutes. And I I always like something that's uh that's an anomaly an anomaly that's something that would be nice to put in a DVD note. Or something. <laughs> uh, I I I too would keep it, and I think perversely, I think one of the reasons I like it is because it's not what I would want to expect of a Christmas special. I'm not particularly a superhero guy. Uh, I mean, I will watch the Marvel films just to just, you know, so that I can, I can keep up when I'm hanging out with the cool kids in Marvel. <laughs> Corner. Um, uh, but, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm delighted there's more fantasy around than there was when I was a, a, a wee lad and all that, but I, and, and I'm not particularly drawn to American stuff either, but like any great self-loathing Doctor Who fan, and uh, and you said, Joe, uh, he, she's overbearing and he's too meek. It's like, my God. Oh, no, don't oh, say Mar it. Yeah. Mar Mar Marley's ghost has brought the spectre of relationship <laughs> knocking on my window. Um, Apologies. No, it's, uh, I mean, it could be the first line of my obituary. And, uh, um, but But actually, what I like about it is all the things that I normally wouldn't like or, or wouldn't go for, or wouldn't expect from a Christmas. We've, we've talked a lot about, you know, the comfort of the, 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 the dressing gowns and the snow and the chocolate box and all of that, that a Christmas special can bring. The fact that they rather boldly went, well, we've kind of done, you know, we've done the Poseidon adventure. We've done the really Christmas, the Christmas killer Christmas trees. We've done a Christmas carol. We've done the romance, you know, uh, okay, well, let's go a bit left field and do, 
and I think you summed it up brilliantly, Michael, that, you know, those sorts of films that you have on around Christmas time, but that aren't necessarily the Doctor who ones and go, well, let's do Doctor Who does one of those. And I go, oh, I'm not sure what I think. about. Oh, OK. No, because but also because it kind of bestows something upon my little show when one, it's got America in it because America <laughs> was always exciting and over there and where the exciting things happened uh, and superheroes, because that was what, you know, that was what normal you know kids night and that was what that was a bit more mainstream that you know the superhero things were big and cinematic rather than small and and televisual uh although i know there was a spider-man tv series and stuff but i just still associated it with it being sort of one step removed from what we would expect of you know humble british multi-camera tv that we grew up with so i i i like all of that sort of stuff our our, our show suddenly being able to do those things you know my all modern iterations of the show are still Sort of, I'm I'm always impressed when they when they go somewhere and you go, God, I, well, they wouldn't have been able to do that in 1988, you know. I, I <laughs> rather that that in itself is is special in a in a in a different way from how snow and you, you know killer Christmas iconography is. So because of that, because I think it, so, it makes its job a little harder, um, and because it is done well, uh, and I do like the line, "I'm the babysitter." I think that's very funny. Um, uh, I I I would I would vote to keep it as well because I think it has a harder job and it succeeds in doing something that is perhaps one step removed from what you'd expect from Christmas and, and yet and yet works as a Christmas episode. So oh, refreshing that Capaldi's having fun again as well, isn't it? It's yeah. the second yeah. after season yeah. nine, which gets very dark and very heavy towards the end. I'd have two on the bounce where he's having fun. Yeah. Uh, and shout out for the moment it was mentioned earlier that you know about when they actually managed to make the doctor feel alien through him not just getting obvious things the bit where he's look he's reading the superman comic and he goes Clark Kent and Superman and, <laughs> and he draws the glasses. <laughs> Look, and I, I love that Stephen Moffat said that he he's a, he said it was, he's enough of a geek that the when they the first comic they got as a prop for that was an issue where Lois Lane from sometime when Lois Lane already knew that Clark Kent was Superman. He's like, no, we can't have that because the joke doesn't work if Lois Lane knows he's Superman. Go and find an older one where she doesn't I, know that yet. I love that bit in the middle where it's all going down. There's aliens about. There's espionage happening. I think he's just eating ice cream, isn't he? He's just sort of having. Oh, he's eating sushi. Yeah, he's he's eating and just like taking it all in and having a great time. You remember that scene? I mean, the the nerve of Stephen Moffat at the end of last Christmas when he had Shona wake up and have that list of Christmas movies that had directly influenced the episode that we've just watched. I mean, that's that's ballsy again. I think that's an explicit version. This is a more implicit version of doing the same thing, isn't it? Like you said, of of the holiday Christmas movie. Do you know what? I, I want to watch it again now. I'm I'm convinced. Oh, I might give it another okay, go. Okay, so a strong contender then. Excellent for Doctor Mysterio. So we're down to the last two. So we've got strangely, we've got the two David Tennant's left. Oh no, we do, we've ruled out next Doctor. Obviously, we've got Runaway Bride and Voyage of the Damned left. So let's see who's next on the Wheel of Fortune. And it's spinning round. Wonderful Christmas time. And it's Toby. <laughs> it's Toby. What are you going to leave me, Toby? <laughs> well, Joey, in the interest of uh, Christmas spirit, which one would you like me to do? Because I'm happy to do either of these. I'd like to do the Runaway Bride, please. You would like to do the mm. Runaway Bride. 
Well, then I will. Well, then I can be mercifully brief because I've I've already <laughs> yeah. alluded to what I enjoy about uh, Voyage of the Dam. Um, I mean, it's it's Doctor Who at its most triumphant. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily the most watertight story. There are moments that I don't think quite work, um, but it is bold. It is confident. It and uh, uh, and and it absolutely does its job of going hello general public you know that show it's bloody good there's this famous person in it you you can just some of you will watch it and spend the whole of christmas and spend the whole running time talking all the way through it which is why <laughs> houses need to have more than one television in so that people that actually watch stuff and appreciate creativity <laughs> and endeavor can go in and watch it without Uncle Bob going, well, why did they do that? The reason they did that, Uncle Bob, was explained in the previous scene. <laughs> we were talking shit during. So if you shut the fuck up for five minutes, you might actually uh, uh, That's everyone's family home. It's yours. <laughs> and I don't care if she looks like your next door neighbor. It's not your next door neighbor. Um, but that's. Are you okay? We all have a universe of our own terrors to face. Um, uh, but if I had to choose, so if I choose th uh, three things about it, well, one, the first thing is the Poseidon adventure vibe. I love a disaster movie. I love stories that have a disparate group of characters who learn to bond, but have their their factions and their fractiousness, but learn something about each other, even if it's painted in broad strokes, that give you a lump in the throat moment, that give you a punch in the air moment, and that give you a moment when you could be sad that they die or triumphant that they survive. And even within that, Moffat subverts that by making Gray O'Brien being one of the few survivors when he's an obvious shit. Uh, and uh, 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 and 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 so, he, you know, he, he, it's not as cosy as sometimes those things might be in our heads although actually the Poseidon adventure is not that cozy I, I mean I it's very odd I, I remember when I watched it again one Christmas being surprised that Gene Hackman died because I, I was convinced that the previous time I'd seen it, he hadn't <laughs> he was the hero and I'd got it into my head that that didn't because I was so you know I was young and it was it was actually quite a moment of uh of of, of development for me as a as a viewer thing to go oh they can do that to the main guy even though I'd seen it before bizarrely uh, I'd, I'd, you know, rubbed that out of my mind. Um, so I love, uh, uh, I, I love that whole type of story, and having it in Doctor Who on Christmas Day is a fantastic idea, and works really, really well. Um, uh, the second thing I like about it is, um. I, I do like Russell T. Davis is very good at well, so is Moffat actually. I love a, a good running gag. And the running gag about Mr. <laughs> Mr. Copper getting everything wrong about, <laughs> about humanity and Christmas is really, really funny. And I, and and again, it gives it that lightness that you require. And he's such a likable character. And and the fact that you know his story ends in the way that it does. Uh, is rather sweet and beautiful, and 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 helps capture the Christmas spirit that that threatens to be diluted by the fact that you know Ky Kylie has to die and, uh, and 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 we lose so many lives. The fact that this this such likable character uh, you know gets gets to scamper off into the uh, falling snow, although it's not snow because it never is in a Russell T Davis Christmas special. <laughs> and I love that joke as well. It's a running joke, yeah. It's a, it's a, I love that running joke. Um, and the 
third thing uh, I think is that come on, it, yeah, this this does this does appeal off screen and all. Doctor Who getting one of the biggest stars in the world, Kylie Minogue, who also I know uh, has a, a, an extra cachet for my friends uh, who would admire musical theatre and 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 rimming and. <laughs> <laughs> Who told but you? But not necessarily uh, in that order, Sophie. <laughs> That's the uh, name of the podcast. <laughs> Joe, we missed a trick. We've got it. We? Yeah, perfect. It's not too late, you know. S hasn't gone out yet. Strictly, <laughs> me- strictly musical theatre and dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> no, people won't come on. Uh, and seeing Kylie on the front cover of Doc 2 magazine with a Dalek, and again, it being mm. a thing. It was a headline grabber, and you know she's a she's a she's a, a a good actress. She's not she's not there just a gimmick. She has a a background in acting, but she represents so much else and so much outside of Doctor Who, and yet seems perfect for Doctor Who without me ever thinking what Doctor Who really needs is for Kylie Minogue to be in it. But then as soon as you see the name Kylie Minogue in the Doctor Who title sequence, you go, oh, this is really really special, uh, and uh, it's no wonder. It got such good viewing figures. It's got no. It's no wonder that Doctor seemed Doctor Who seemed invincible at that time. And and actually, with all the hype and everyone watching, watching it, knowing that everybody else was watching, there was never a moment I thought, "Oh, the people watching this, this are good. This is not being are not being catered for." This felt to me it was bold. It was innovative. It was Doctor Who, but it was Doctor Who, perhaps as as people imagined it might be, uh, w- without actually sacrificing the core of what it means to be Doctor Who as well. So I, yeah, I think it's big, bold, jolly Russell T Davis, a hundred percent proof Doctor Who, and it is perfect for the job that it is trying to do, which is say to everybody at Christmas Day, this show sparkles. It still works now, you know. You say about Kylie's name bringing in viewers. I heard a couple of people at work saying to me, oh, you're going to watch Doctor Who at the weekend? I've not heard Doctor Who mentioned for years at work. And uh, they went, well, yeah, David Tennant's in it. Of course I'm going to watch it. So David Tennant is the name now that's drawing people back to the show. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a savvy move. Probably yeah. It's probably his marketing triumph, isn't it, Kylie Minogue? Yeah, well, I mean, he's just so, so good at all of that and you know you get you get the extra as besides the storytelling and and all of the, the the stuff that is is put on the screen it's the stuff off screen that this master puppeteer of television uh you know who has who seems to somehow get but particularly because he writes quite niche stuff as well he writes channel four dramas about aids and yet when he's when he's doing doctor who he somehow knows how to reel in the public who are naturally skeptical about something that's can be child seen as kid stuff and is also science fiction which is a genre that is seen for geeks and yet he places it smack on your sofa in front of your fire exactly when you you know when you think you should be watching it and is is and and you need that as well as whatever's going on on screen. But this is one of those occasions where as well, what's going on on screen, screen is in perfect synthesis, I think, to the vibe that he's putting out. 
And you've got such a disparate range of characters in there. And they've got to be fairly broad because you're right. It's Towering Inferno. It's Poseidon Adventure. So in some ways, they're fairly broad. But I think he imbues each one with just enough reality so that you believe them. Um, you've got the uh, the Van Hoffs and their relationship. Um, the fact that she spent all the money buying. She's she's bankrupted them buying That's tickets absurd, to win. isn't it? And, but you just believe them. The fact he laughs at that. You haven't got that awful stereotype of, you know, they're going to fall out over that. The husband laughs and he embraces her as lovely and you feel for them. And, you know, Banakafalata is a, a cyborg and he's got, they've now, cyborgs have now got civil rights, which I thought this is only just two years after civil partnership came in. So, you know, that's a nice little tweet. And again, it kind of humanises uh, Banakafalata. Um, so you've got all these little pieces. I mean, Toby, you mentioned, yeah, Mr. Copper and his dodgy degree from Mrs. Golightly's Happy Travelling University <laughs> and Dry Cleaners. I mean, it's just, it's lovely, isn't it? It's lovely stuff. So, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you. It's definitely in for me. They eat the turkey people, I believe. They do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all start boxing. Uh, do you know what? I'll keep it in for no other reason than I like the fact that he always gives his Christmas specials a bit of a bite. So like Harriet Jones at the end of Christmas Invasion, I'll get on to the Runaway Bride. And in this, the people you expect to survive this story don't. And the people you wouldn't want to survive this story do. And I left feeling a bit uncomfortable. And I like that with TV. It's a nice big, it's a bit of fluff. It's really entertaining to watch. And it's a little bit discomforting as well. It's a good mix. So stay in for me. Yeah, because he he's clever. Because you know that the whole thing of saving, killing Kylie, and saving Rixton Slade. Rixton Slade. Oh, no. <laughs> what, no, that's that's so, that's, that's someone a comic who book was name for you. That, well, I was thinking that was someone who was you know nurtured on uh, you know eighties dynasty and Dallas villain businessman <laughs> names. But uh, but uh, th you know the element of that is also it does make you questions of because you know you know Rixton is not a nice character. He's an absolute bastard. But he's also probably not worthy of death. You know, he's he's a he's a nasty businessman, but you know, he isn't Max Capricorn who's gonna blow up southern England uh, you know, for an insurance job. Um it you know, so that he he does I yeah, you're right that he he introduces those shades of grey for want of a better term, but that, that questioning of the assumptions. I mean, I'll be honest with you, when I was preparing this, I was I was sort of finding myself coming up with reasons that I didn't like voyage of the damned i was you know thinking of things like you know it has aged a bit poorly you know if you look at it now especially versus you know with the disney money it is all very obviously you know dressed up locations and sets but you know i realize this is the first episode and if we could throw things out for having aged poorly we might undermine the entire format <laughs> <laughs> at its birth. um you wait till we get to the arc <laughs> oh, oh. Lord. don't trust the slaves um <laughs> and, and the, the the cutesy little cameo from the from the queen i just thought oh god alive you know that's you're two, you're two inches away from you know paddington guiding david tennant through a second regeneration at that stage but oh, that's hilarious the pink david tennant saves the, the queen on christmas day yeah. what more do you need no, Brexit, Brexit happened between then and now. Okay, and yeah, we elected enough, a Conservative yeah. government. Yeah, <laughs> so it lands differently in the modern era. 
<laughs> makes it even more important to watch fun bits of fluff like this, the world we're living in now. Exactly. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah, of course, the Queen has no past, so um, we can say what we like, <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, having you know, having listened to you, you're right. It is, you know, Toby, you're absolutely right. It, it, this is... This is this is you know you, this is the person you love putting on an absolute perfect display at the wedding for all of your friends and relatives you've never met them before you know there is there is no Doctor Who being so open and embracing and giving what people on Christmas Day want because you know obviously viewing habits have changed massively even since this this went out this two thousand and seven you know you did still sit down and just watch TV through for the day right so this had to sit between I was going to say this has to sit between between strictly whatever and it'd still be sat between the same things now because that's the tv scheduling works in the 21st century but you know it has to appeal to people while at the same time never compromising it doesn't this is this is it saying this is why doctor who is really good not doctor who pretending to be something else for a little bit so that you don't get embarrassed um and that's you know all of this and we've not even mentioned bernard cribbins you know this is all of this and cribbins too (laughs) that's that should be enough. He's delightful. Yeah, he's because he became such a big thing. It can catch you off guard how little he's actually in it. But no wonder they brought him back because he's it's a, he's an utter delight. And um, at the time, it almost felt like a little kiss to the past, you know, because he'd been in Dalek Invasion. Oh, it'd be lovely to get him back in. But oh, you know what? The birth of such an important bit of of Doctor Who as well in that in that one little bit. No, I'm I'm keeping it. And how have how have none of us mentioned the homages to robots of death? Which oh, are fairly blatant yes. in a few places, but you know, he knows what if to you're steal, going to steal, though. steal from the best. Yeah. You know that sequence where they're sort of throwing the halos and they're bashing them with the pipes yeah. and all of that. Like, how was that not made into some kind of a game? You know, that is ripe for marketing. That. Well, I do it anyway. You know, when I'm watching the episode. <laughs> the last thing I'll say about this one is that the harshest critic of television of all time is my mother, who was displeased by pretty much everything. And when this was on, she phoned me up afterwards and said, "That's the most fun I've had watching television all year." So that yeah. was my that was like my wow. biggest win, you know. Should we just turn this podcast off now and just leave? <laughs> the only other time she phoned me up about Doctor Who was at the end of uh, Doomsday in tears, going, "What have you done to me?" Like she was devastated, but actually loved this episode. It's a win. It's, it's a win for Voyage yeah, of the Dam. It's a win-win-win. It's funny though, Colin Lowe being on this, just to sign up before we move on, because obviously I think her connection was via her tour manager, wasn't it? Who was a big Doctor Who fan. And a few years before this, before Doctor Who came back, there was a photo doing the rounds oh, of her. You've seen the one of Camera her, the, Obscura. With camera the BBC novel, yeah. Camera Obscura. And I remember when that was first circulated, and someone on one of the forums, you know, very, very carefully explaining with like highlights and rounds, like, this is not real. This has been photoshopped. Look, you can tell this is obviously like this bit's blurred. There's too much. Can dark I just here. guess? Were those comments in big capital letters, by the way? <laughs> no, <laughs> they were pet- petrifyingly small font. <laughs> well, <given> excellent. <laughs> uh, and anyway, that that just taught me everything I need to know about internet discourse, which is because it was it was real. It. <laughs> given the fact that you know those books, those eighth Doctor books, were being shoveled into a furnace in an orphanage overseas somewhere, you know that's a fact. I don't think, you know, one of the thousand people that were reading those books at the time was Kylie Minogue. I believe it was on the sofa, but I think it was her her manager, whoever it was, reading that. Is that tragic or heartwarming that most of them went in a furnace, but one of them got to tour the world with Kylie Minogue? (laughs) And a great book as well. 
Right, Joe, we're on to the last in round one. We're on to the run. run. What could it be? It could be the runaway bride. Indeed. Do you know, he said to me, I reckon these episodes will probably turn out to be about two two hours long. We're at two hours now, you know. I know we can Round two, we're going to make very quick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Run for the Hills. It's the end of civilization. Catherine Tate has been cast in Doctor Who. The show will never be the same again. In a very positive way, I've chosen three scenes from the one I bride, and they're all very important Donna scenes. The first one is the first point in the story where Donna trusts the Doctor. So it's the taxi sequence with the TARDIS flying in, the kids watching the whole thing, just like the kids at home watching the programme. Just everything about that sequence. I think that sequence was screened at one of the musical events before The Runaway Bride went out. And no wonder everybody watched it after that. I mean, is that just one of the funnest scenes in Doctor Who ever? It's fun. I've, We've never seen the TARDIS used like that as, as a physical prop in an action sequence like that before. It's just everything about it, the direction of it, the performances. Murray Gold's music is awesome in that scene as well. But most importantly, it is the point where Donna stops shouting and holds her hands out and and so this is the point where we're like okay there is more to this character than meets the eye from the sort of screeching pantomime harridan of the first couple of scenes because even i i love Catherine tate and i love donna i watched those first couple of scenes and i was like oh dear is are we doing this for a whole episode uh the second scene which is i genuinely think it's one of the most beautiful scenes in the whole of doctor who it's the formation of the earth in the TARDIS, and it's the performances of Catherine Tate, who's just had devastating news that her fiance has been having a relationship with an enormous red spider for a little Nothing while really. now, and mocks her for the for the latest flavor Pringle. Um, it's just beautiful. Everything in that scene is just beautiful. The special effects are beautiful, but it's Donna seeing the wonder of the universe. For the first time and again Catherine Tate just aces it she's absolutely brilliant and the third scene is I never ever thought we would see quite so many children dying on Christmas day but here we are as Rusty Davis of course what do you do with a spider you flush it down the bloody plug hole which is exactly what he does at the end of the runaway bride and that's the moment where Donna has a profound impact on the doctor because she's telling him to, you know, you, you, you need to stop doing this. And that's the point where he realises he doesn't want to be on his own anymore and he needs a friend by his side. I think The Runaway Right is a really underrated story. It is a screwball comedy and there is all the laughs in there and, and the silliness and the big spider and the web star. But there's real heart. There's the heart that only Russell T. Davis can bring to Doctor Who for me in a way that none of the others can. He's doing it again right now um, on Saturday nights. And yeah, I just, I think, I think Donna goes on an incredible journey. A lot of people wrote her off as a sort of one shot, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a waste to use. But actually, I think she goes on an incredible journey in that episode. And the the sequence at the end where she, you know, she's explaining why she doesn't want to go with him. What does she say? Oh, you scare me to death. You know, you've made it snow. And it's this insane world that you've thrown me into. I think there's huge depth to her. And he, he goes on to prove that later on. I just think she's an extraordinary character. And so Donna is basically the, the basis of my argument for The Runaway Bride. I just thought it was, a, again, a brilliant move bringing her in because her show was in the zeitgeist at the time. 
and he pushed against what people thought he was going to do with her by giving Catherine Tate incredible acting opportunities, and she sings. Well, I completely, I had Catherine Tate down as my number one uh, recommendation for this one as well. I think you're completely right. I get really annoyed, and I think it is still, you know, we all see what gets met, things that go on uh, on social media boards, etc. But it's a very lazy criticism of this. And I constantly still see it that, oh, she was just shouting the runaway bride. I think that's so wrong. Yes, she does play her characters a little bit at the beginning. I mean, when, when she first gets uh, taken out of the church and transmats to the tards, she does do the comedy scream from that character that screamed everything in the Catherine Tate show. But she's got so much more than that. You know, she we see everything. We see her heartbroken, as you say, when she realises that Lance has been duping her. We see her quite devious when she turns up at the reception party and they're all having a go at her. Oh, so isn't that wonderful? Just so, so she can get everybody back on side. Oh, I've done works. that a few times since as well, you know, <laughs> put on the tears. It works. It really worked. Um, she follows the doctor. That's the really interesting thing. He leaves up and she follows him. And I thought that's, you know, we're seeing that. She trusts him completely already. She follows him out that door. And as you're right, Joe, as you rightly said, she knows when to stop him. And of course, we get the uh, running gag that we are still getting that she misses everything. <laughs> and my favourite one being that she was in Spain scuba diving yeah. during the Battle of Canary Wharf. Now, I cannot imagine Donna scuba diving, but as a story, it's great. So, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm uh, I'm supporting this one. Yay. Well, I'm 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 channeling my inner Haydoke and uh, finding <laughs> that I'm actually getting quite annoyed at the Runaway Bride the more I think about oh, it. Oh, go on. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> There is a lot of criticism. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot of love for Catherine Tate in this episode, and none of it coming from me. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no, I do also, I, I do also think some of the the hate for the character is overplayed as well. So caveat: I love Catherine Tate. I love Donna. I series four is incredible, and you know, in, in the current specials that we are, spoiler alert: it's not actually Christmas Day right now. In the middle of, um, she's fantastic. Santa isn't real, Max. What was? Yeah, why, would I, last why, would I, why would I say? Why would I say something so obviously not real, Rod? <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Anyway, um, and fantastic. What I would say is the tragedy of the journey's end. Of journey's end relies on how horrific it would be for Donna to become the character that she is in this episode again. Um, but I, I don't hate her. I don't because I think in some ways I, I, I don't get it either. I do think you know people call you being shrieking, being shouty. It's overplayed. I think she just leaves me cold. I think I, I just don't feel anything for that character, and I don't think it's her even necessarily. It's certainly not Catherine Tate's fault because she's she's, she's magnificent. Um, and I don't even necessarily think it's the, the the function of the character. I think there's some bigger problems with this story. Number one is that it's a screwball comedy that I don't find funny. And I don't mean in that in the sense of like, it's not my type of scene. I just don't laugh at it. There's just no bit where I find it funny. That, oh, come on, space man. You know, mm, mm, okay. If you say so, it just leaves me a bit cold. It's not all even the bit, bit where she's trying to hail the taxi and they're like, they think I'm in drag. Oh man. I love that bit. Uh, it's just, okay. It's, <laughs> I, I don't know. know. I can't, I, you know, it's, you know, humor is one of those things, you, you know, yeah. comedy, horror, porn. If you don't react to it in the way you're meant to, 
you can only really you know uh, explain that in retrospect um and it just it just doesn't work (laughs) i just went backwards but that's that's what that's one thing and that that is undoubtedly just just a personal thing for me it just the, the jokes just don't land uh and i think even more so as time goes on i think there's a certain type of russell t davis comedy writing as well which is you know he can be incredibly funny and i've hooted and laughed but a bit like you know people talk about moffat relying on certain lazy tropes as well there are times when russell t davis sort of writes square brackets russell t davis writing where it is just people going oh yeah and then neris there you go oh, it's got, got the well, actually, no, Neris is a bad example because I actually think the Neris running joke is brilliant. The but, you know viper I mean? in the nest. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, okay, Neris, I shouldn't have mentioned Neris because Neris is, the Neris joke is actually brilliant. But I think the bigger issue for me is the one that you raised as a, as a point, which is it's a story that ends with Doctor Who murdering a bunch of children. And the story's, the story, and A, it's not very, that isn't very Christmassy. Um, but also there's an element to which the story deals with this and the story wants to deal with this. The story wants to say, no, stop, you've gone too far. And then they're like, ah, oh, well, thank God you stopped. You've still murdered a bunch of children. <laughs> they're still dead. You've still alien, done that. Alien spider children, though. Oh, oh That's all right, sorry. Yeah. All right, Farage. Uh, <laughs> Um, I and I just don't. I and again, Russell Davis. I think sometimes go. Yeah, you know, the darkness of the Doctor is something that he sometimes overplays because it gets to the point where he's never actually willing to engage in the consequences of that enough of what that says about your character. Like, I actually don't like this person anymore. He isn't. You know, the, the, to what extent he should be a hero in the gussy sense is wrong. But this is an actually, actually bad person to the extent that you know. 50th anniversary there was a whole thing built around the idea of imagine what awful things the doctor might have got up to and we weren't looking well look what he did we were looking you know this isn't even like a remembrance of the Daleks old dodge where he's tricked Davros into doing the thing that he didn't want him to do he's literally just killed a bunch of children and I don't think the story is able to row back from that and I think everything else after that lands very very pat I don't know what that says about me then because I just think that seems great when all those spiders are flushed down the down a drain. I suppose it depends on your relationship with spiders and children. If and children. yeah. <laughs> oh, I think we better move. Given what on. I said earlier, yeah. I think let's move swiftly on. So it's one also, Toby. You have the casting votes. <laughs> Come on, so Toby. Your head on over your head. It's Russell. <laughs> Is it a yay uh, or a nay? It's it's such a tricky thing for Doctor, isn't it? Because the 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 baddies have to be vanquished, but we always like that that sort of moral sort of get out of going well the you know, the doctor the doctor has has only had to kill them as a last resort or or, or has got somebody else who could conveniently do it or whatever and, it, and and you know much in the same way that you know you can shut off parts of your brain and go well I kind of pretend that didn't happen I, I think certainly the way that I view doctor is 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 you know full of conflict and contradiction and maybe even hypocrisy of going, well, no, I see the Doctor in that kind of way, but to do that, I have to ignore the fact that the Doctor did this, that, and the other. And, and and you know, we sift out what we like and what we don't. And there's there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it means it's hard to make a, a, a watertight case for anything apart from going, at the end of the day, that's my personal taste, um, which, which means I'm always, you know... M- rather scornful of anybody that sort of goes doctor who is about this and if you disagree you're wrong you sort of go no it's not um it's you know we 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 very make compromises in our world view 
I'm very much the doctor who is kind and liberal, but that that means that certain things have to do a lot of heavy lifting and certain things have to be hugely ignored. Um, and with The Runaway Bride, uh, interesting that none of you have pointed to what I think is its major um, drawback in that after the very winning um, romantic comedy stuff, Hepburn, Tracy, back and forth. I, I remember the first time I watched it and they were on the segways and I was thinking, this is starting to flag now and I need something to happen. And I'm I'm not I'm not as excited by the segues as the program is. Um and they end up in a room with a spider that can't move. <laughs> great <laughs> though the, great yeah. great though the design is and excellent. Um though Sarah Parrish, who I think does a thing that actors often forget to do or aren't bold enough to do is go, I'm gonna try and make this alien. I'm gonna try and make this uh and I like the way that she calls him Doctor Man and all of that sort of thing. And she and she, she's fearless, she's really isn't she? She's excellent. She's a, she. It's it's, and I and I think we underestimate sometimes how bold you have to be in choices like that. And you can end up with egg on your face. And I think most people go, I think I'll just do RP Shakespearean because because you can sort of get away with that when you're doing a monster. Um, and and I and I think it really is a bold choice that works. Um, uh, but I, I do think it is quite static in that last 20 minutes. I, I mean, it's typical Russell T Davis that yes, he will do that horrific thing and he will make it a joke about spiders going down the plug hole. That's, I mean, that's just how brilliant he, he is. I think <laughs> that's that sort of cheeky power that he has, but I do love it because I do, I do really like Catherine Tate. I do think that TARDIS on the motorway sequence is one of the great sequences in all of Doctor Who. I think it has everything. Uh, and it's would have been really hard to put. It's technically brilliant, but it's also full of wit and full of invention. Even the kids who are who are non-speaking supporting artists going, chow, chow, all <laughs> yeah, it's all absolutely cracking. It's a virtuoso sequence. And I adore the way that she says. Santa's a. Real... I was just gonna say that to you. <laughs> we were talking earlier, weren't we, about line deliveries? I think that that and I I'm gonna get killed it. by a Christmas tree are two of the yeah. best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, and and in the spirit of what we've done, because I think having been told, oh, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be mean about some stuff, Toby. And as soon as I did it, I felt bad. I remember, <laughs> I remember playing football at school with a kid who was being horrible to me. So so I went to tackle and get the ball off him and I deliberately didn't go for the ball and deliberately kicked him in the shins <gasps> because, because he'd been such a rotter. <laughs> and I've regretted that ever since. <laughs> and every time I think about it, I feel sick because it didn't give me the catharsis I thought it would. It was, <laughs> it was an objectively mean thing to do, even though I feel like I had a justification. Uh, and what it did to him was unkind and unfair and did not become me. And I didn't, and it didn't give me the feeling of satisfaction that I thought it might. And I and I have to say, I'm feeling exactly the same <laughs> with you guys having told me that I had to be mean about a story. I was then, <laughs> you know, condemned the Christmas Carol and then immediately felt awful. <laughs> you, you were reveling you in that, Toby. You, you were reveling in it. Because it's, because it's I've never respected you more. I think, Toby, I think you should stop now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I need someone to stop me. 
Uh, no, I need someone not to start me. Is what I, mean. <laughs> yeah. it's, I only become evil under the influence of others. Um, so in the spirit of, uh, you know, my Christmas carol journey, having had the ghosts of <laughs> Christmas, past, present and future come to haunt me, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm pretty 50-50 with Runaway, Runaway Bride. And I think it's very much a game of two halves. But if I'm 50-50, I have to go then I will err on the side of benevolence. If in doubt, I think one always must celebrate rather than condemn. Mm. Excellent. So we are going to move on to round two, which given how long we've talked (laughs) on round round one, we're going to make very swift. So we Uh, are left uh, with five stories. We're left with Runaway Bride, Voyage of the Damned, Last Christmas, Husbands of River Song, and Return of Doctor Mysterio. Just as a small uh, caveat here, most seasons of Doctor Who do tend to be about, you know, five or six stories long. So the episodes, we won't always be covering this many stories. So I have put them into my little random generator. And what I'm going to do is spin this twice and pick out two stories. And then as a group, so Toby, there's the safety in numbers. As a group, (laughs) we will decide which is our favourite of the two. And we'll do that until we've got down to our favourite Christmas special from this selection. So let me run that. And we have Last Christmas is the first one. And Last Christmas is going up against, oh, The Husbands of River Song. Oh, we have Last Christmas and the River. Well, thing is, did I jump in? These were my two that I championed. They were. So, You're in a very tough choice here. You know what? I will be bold then and trying to save Toby from himself. I will leap in first. And of those two, if I've got to pick one over the other, I am going to pick Last Christmas for the reason, probably most of the reasons I said earlier. I just think the plotting leaving the general not we audience to one side i just think the plotting of last christmas has got so much cleverness about it and the dream within a dream within a dream and the heartbreaking moments of bittersweet just for me beat the screwball comedy which i can totally enjoy but last christmas takes me to a possibly a darker place but a place that pushes and makes me think more and i appreciate that in my doctor so because it's more cerebral. I'm going for last Christmas. Well, to make things, uh, to, to, to maintain the tension, I'm going to go <laughs> with the husbands of River Song uh, because of, as mentioned, the just the, the wonderful chemistry between Peter Capaldi and Alex Kingston. And, you know, that's the scene, you know, the sunset, the stars can't love you back. Uh, no, sweetie, the roots of the sunset. Uh, I think that scene, that exchange alone for me, it's just one of my favourite little bits of, in, in Doctor Who. So I have to go for that, much as I love last Christmas. I love both of these episodes. This is really tough. Um, But I'm going to go for Last Christmas as well, because I do think it's a better story. And just for purely personal reasons, this is the last time uh, my nephew watched Doctor Who with me on Christmas Day. We slunk off on Christmas Day and we watched it in his bedroom and we sat there behind cushions because it was a bit scary 
And that that was sort of the point where he left the show. And I just have such a great memory of the two of us watching it. We never made it to the Husbands of River song, unfortunately. So I can't put that in as a comparison. It's a personal reason, but it's mine. So, Toby, you are going to be <laughs> racked with your conscience. No, no, you, no. It's two to last yeah. Christmas, one to Husbands. It really is a, t- a tough choice, but I, I, I have to sort of go on gut instinct and go and interestingly go for something that wasn't even mentioned i think in our first round and i'm gonna go for last christmas if only because santa claus in it oh, oh of course doctor Frost. who knows santa claus and, and i think it, it it you know having opened with that very bold gambit it it, it actually makes that pay off and it's got a joke about satsumas and walnuts and i'm cool on that <laughs> Uh, I actually I set the challenge when I saw that teaser at the end of Death in Heaven and went, there is no way that Stephen Moffat will ever be able to convince me that Santa Claus is a character in Doctor Who. And I ate my fucking words at the end of last Christmas. So <laughs> yeah. congratulations to him. And a bonus point as well to Nick Frost for giving a mm. superb performance that because it must be very difficult not to either ham that up or overplay it and i think he he finds the balance beautifully and he was... having, having a nominatively determinant name as well uh is, <laughs> is, is yeah so it's the know, only that... re- it's the only reason he was cast yeah. i couldn't have agreed with him more as well you know when he popped in at the end of death in heaven a miserable ending of that episode and went no 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 this isn't how it ends i was yeah. going yes okay great i thought there was going to be some more after that but there you go so We've lost Husbands of River Song, so I've taken it out the randomizer. So let's spin again. Spin we have Doctor Mysterio, crikey, oh, we're well doing done, all the... Well done, Michael. And we have Voyage of the Damned. Doctor uh, Mysterio, because I'm a perverse bastard. <laughs> I'm riding high and having convinced you all of its glory. I'm thinking I should run for high office at this stage. Uh... <laughs> Well, I'm I'm going to have you impeached because I'm going to go for Voyage of the Damned just because it's so, you know, bells and whistles, but they're sleigh bells and they're those sugar whistles that you'd sometimes get in your stocking in, if you're from the 1970s. Which and I I'm going for Voyage of the Damned because I also grew up in the 70s and I spent my entire childhood being mocked for loving Doctor Who and the more people mocked me for it, the more I loved it and embraced it. So I had a childhood of um, abuse and scorn and then suddenly to turn on in 2007 and have 13.3 million people watching it and everyone talking about it, I feel a slight sense of vindication. Obviously, nothing to do with me. Thank you, Mr. Russell T. Davis. But... It made me feel good. So, and it's a great story. It's a rollicking adventure. Great characters. Um, so, as much as I do like Mysterio, I'm going Voyage. I'm also going to choose Voyage of the Damned, and not for the obvious reason that I prefer Rusty Davis writing over Stephen Moffat, because I actually think Moffat writes better Christmas specials on the whole, um, or so, certainly Christmas specials about Christmas. But Voyage of the Damned is the only episode of Doctor Who that I know that convinced friends of mine, Toby, that are into rimming, to go out and buy Doctor <laughs> Who magazine for the first and only time when it had Kylie Minogue against the Dalek. And it was genuinely getting people involved that would never touch the show before. So for that reason, like... Is it well, interesting when you do it around Europe? When you do it around <laughs> what? 
is interiming when you do it around Europe. It's when you're between jobs, isn't it? Only the coast. Only the coast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fare thee well, Doctor Mysterio. This is like so... when Wales. It's like when Wales went out in the first round of the Euros. We dared to dream, and of course oh. we didn't. Sorry, that, that it was a hell of an argument. I'm I'm lost. A football reference that. Oh yeah, well. Oh sorry, yeah. it all got a bit dangerously. The last, top last, level here will be second, very confused. Yeah. I was fine with the rimming references. <laughs> football, you lost me. So interestingly enough, we're left with the two David Tennants that got left to last, which is uh, interesting. So we're left with Runaway Bride, Voyage of the Damned, and Last Christmas. So let's spin that wheel again. And we have Last Christmas playing. Runaway Bride. So I'm going to jump straight in and go, obviously, my number one champion is Last Christmas. I'm not going to say any more. It's just beautiful. (laughs) Well, as established, I like Last Christmas and I'm not keen on the Runaway Bride. So therefore, my vote is Last Christmas. I oh man, I prefer Last Christmas, but Runaway Bride has got Catherine Tate in it. I love everything with Catherine Tate in it. No, Last Christmas. Let's let's be honest. I think it's a better episode. Last Christmas. Yeah, and it's funny. My my my, you know, my heart goes in a way with Runaway Bride because of all the things that we said about it. But my head goes with Last Christmas because I actually think if I was to watch. But I, I think I would go, I think I prefer to watch Runaway Bride. But then watching them, I think I would come out and go, I actually preferred watching Last Christmas. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think it's actually, as a whole, it's probably better. I think Runaway Bride has, has certain things about it that are glorious. But I think perhaps as a whole, and perhaps if one removes one's... Well, and also because I, I'm 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 keen to advocate for the, for the Moffat era, because... I, I, there's so much about it that is absolutely tip top, and I think I've on occasion just uh, just concentrated on two aspects of it that 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 I struggle with, which is the timey wimey and the sexy wexy, and um, uh, <laughs> and so I'm gonna I'm gonna choose Last Christmas as well. Fabulous. So how interesting. So from our eight Christmas specials, thinking about the ones we decided to choose, so therefore the ones that went out first, the in eighth was. Next Doctor. Seventh, unbelievably, was Christmas Carol. Sixth was Doctor Widow and the Wardrobe. Fifth was Husbands of River Song. Fourth, Return of Doctor Mysterio. Third place, Runaway Bride. So we are left positions one and two with Voyage of the Damned and Last Christmas. So this is the Titanic, excuse the pun, uh, battle for the final place. Gentlemen, place your place your preference. For the guests. Toby, you can go first. We'll be kind. Well, I am going to book my ticket for the Titanic and sail oh. into Christmas on the Voyage of the Damned for big tits and teeth headline grabbing. Because <laughs> that's what Chris- Christmas is all about gluttony. Uh, it, it, there are better written episodes. There are probably better executed episodes. There are episodes that probably hold together more. But sometimes none of those things matter. And what you want is a big plate of cheese that's mouldy, 
vegetables that have been pickled within an inch of their life and the two of them together with curdle inside you but somehow <laughs> shoving them in your mouth and swallowing mm. them down is just glorious <laughs> you've been at my house on christmas day then have you <laughs> michael michael it's a good final two it's a worthy final two um but you know i'm Ultimately, as I've probably demonstrated at points in this uh, this Christmas episode, uh, a bit up myself at times and fancy myself to be an esteet. Uh, and I therefore think I have to go for Last Christmas. And it's partly because something I didn't mention, which is the first time I saw Last Christmas, I thought it was miserable. And I thought, oh, you're being clever, Stephen Moffat. Oh, you're being clever. It's Christmas. Come on. And I was so wrong. And everything that's been said praising it is right. So my redemptive arc is that I'm going to vote for Last Christmas as the best Doctor Who Christmas special. I think it is. It's just, it's got Santa, it's got aliens, and it's got Faye Marzi, as I said, giving one of the best one-episode performances in all of Doctor Who, so it gets my vote. Sorry, Bernard has just invaded the podcast. Bernard <laughs> <laughs> got the casting voting. Does he have a vote? Yeah. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer Last Christmas or do you prefer... Can I show you to everybody? Oh. There he was. Um, so he's come to say hello. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he can have the casting vote, can he? Hey, Bernard. Hey, <laughs> pal. You okay? It's you and me, Rod. It is. Do you want to go first, Joe, or second? I'll go first. Um, it's either an experience with my nephew or an experience with my mother. And they both love the two episodes. And I'm going to go with the experience with my mother because I lost her five years ago. And every jolly memory of her, it just sparkles in my head. That phone call that she gave me. When she rolled me up and said that was so much fun. Man, it always felt like a win when she loved Doctor Who. I remember she sat down with me once when I was watching Stones of Blood and she was like, what the on earth is this? These bizarre polystyrene shapes roaming around the countryside. And she sat there and watched all of it. And at the end, she said, well, that was rather jolly, wasn't it? I was like, yes. So my mum loving Doctor Who was the biggest win. I'm going with Voyage of the Dam because she loved oh, it. Goodness. So it's two for Voyage and one for Last Christmas. I feel I've got to stick with Last Christmas. I don't know how we're going to decide this. I feel I've got to stick with Last <laughs> Christmas because it breaks me every time I watch it and it reminds you of your humanity. It reminds you of your mortality and it reminds you to hold the ones that you love close. And for a TV show that I love to move me and to kind of get that message through to me, I, I just find it beautiful. Uh, and so, yes, I love the horror. I love the comedy. I love the characters. But that heartbreaking scene just does it for me. So it's got to be last Christmas for me. Fine. Well, gentlemen, it looks, unfortunately, as though we <laughs> haven't got a clear winner. But, <laughs> hey, in the spirit of Christmas, love is all around. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you can't agree on how to play with it, then neither of you should have it. That's the true spirit of Christmas Day <laughs> afternoon. I've learned that lesson many times. And a lack of consensus between Doctor Who fans, Kel Sabreeze. But it's all done in a loving and positive and constructive yes. environment. Okay. Well, that no, is 
No, no, after you, Joe. That's, well, that's I it. just wanted to say thank you very much. Merry Christmas. I hope the two of you have been sport rossing, are sucking into some fabulous dinner right now and having a wonderful day. But thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. You've been tremendous guests on our first uh, first episode of Strictly. So thank you both so much for your insight and wisdom and wit. Uh, you've been magnificent. So thank you. And thank you to everyone at home. Um, thank you for listening. And until next time, Joe. And what we've got to say, keep dancing. Keep listening. I'll keep listening. Keep listening. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Happy Merry Christmas. Christmas. Good night, oh. everyone. Because I always say it, I'll cut it there. <laughs> <laughs>